two of wrestling's biggest icons lock up in this all-important reunion. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. You got a real big problem, my friend. Versus Rowdy Roddy Piper. I'm the only guy you have never been able to beat. As they say under the big top, it's showtime! Hogan leads the NWO. We are going to build a dynasty. Piper walks alone. I am not with the WCW. I am not with the NWO. I'm Roddy Piper. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Piper, I'm gonna break you in half. Versus Rowdy Roddy Piper. No surrender, no retreat. At Starcade, the granddaddy of them all. of a decade, Piper and Hogan. And hi and happy holidays, everyone. Tony Schiavone, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. We have talked about this night for so long, Dream. It is finally here, and never before in the history of this sport have we seen or felt so much electricity as we felt when we first got to the arena earlier today. Well, I tell you, you know, Tony, all the hype is over with now. We gotta get down to fighting. Roddy Piper, keys to victory. He needs to stay focused. He needs to know he's got a bigger man. He needs to reach way down to bring this thing home for a victory. And Hulk Hogan needs to get the NWO and everything else out of his mind, and he's got to understand that he's got to be prepared to fight or he will lose this thing. This truly is the match of the century. You know something, and what I'm thinking and what everyone else is thinking, Hogan, this is gonna be the longest night of your life. This man, Rowdy Roddy Piper, is the only man in this sport you don't hold a victory over. You've never defeated Rowdy Roddy Piper. Well, tonight here in Nashville, guess what? You're not going to do it again. Gentlemen, we have seen over the past couple of weeks, over the past couple of months, the NWO increase its ranks, growing stronger. I have said from the onset that it is an attempt to surround Hulk Hogan with more people as we prepare for the match of the decade. Eight great matches tonight as we go to David Pinter to kick off Starcade 1996. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the opening contest at Starcade 1996. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, uh, the guy who is desperately trying not to cough that whole time, as I will be trying not to cough this entire show. And with me, <laughs> as always, it's my broadcast colleague. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Dave Amantorp. I'm going to leave that one in so people know what I'm dealing with here. That's how, oh. my, that's how my name is actually pronounced now. You ever do that thing where you have to talk in a really specific, slow way so that you don't just burst out coughing? Mm-hmm. Oh. And, and, also the f- <coughs> and also the fact that you're aware of you don't want to cough right. 
and it just makes your throat just a little bit more ticklish. I have a big cup of water. I've got three cough drops that I really need to disperse carefully. <laughs> Since this is going to be like a four and a half hour podcast, yeah. you have to time them out every hour and a half. <laughs> so that's that's how I'm doing. How are you doing this week, Dave? Oh, I'm doing good. I feel just fine. <laughs> I mean, we're finally getting to the match of the decade. And which decade is it that we're talking about? Is it the 90s when it takes place? Was it the 80s when the feud actually happened? <laughs> or what decade are we in right now when we're recording this? Because we just entered a new one. Well, like... it's, definitely, it's definitely a new decade, not that stuff where people are saying it starts in 2021 like a bunch of idiots. Yeah, I, that's like, technically, well, fuck, great, way to go. Like, if you're the one guy who knows that's technically correct, what, what use is that of you? <laughs> or what use is that to you? Right. Everyone else is using a different definition, so way to go. Yeah. All right, well... You're t- smarter than us all. <laughs> of course, uh, as you alluded to, we are, we are at the match of the decade. We are at Starcade 96. This is not a normal Nitro episode. Not a worldwide. This is an extra special bonus edition covering a pay-per-view. But before we do get into that pay-per-view, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And, of course, you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Today is Sunday, December 29th, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the Nashville Municipal Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee, in front of 9,030 fans, 8,327 of whom paid for a total gate of $113,040. This show is a legitimate sellout. Uh, Those comps are not like, that's not being papered. Those are just like, you know, radio station promotions, family, business people they're trying to impress, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. sponsors. Uh, so this is a legitimate sellout, actually selling out weeks ahead of time, and scalpers were getting up to $200 for tickets, which is pretty much an unheard of amount for a WCW event. So that's, I mean, that's yeah. huge. This is this is very, very successful. Uh, merchandise sales inside the building topped $60,000, and about 60% of that uh, was estimated by, you know, whatever Dave sourced in the arena. About 60% of those uh, merchandise sales were NWO-related merchandise. Oh, okay. And I was just going to mention that just, I don't know why they did it. It's just a weird tradition of WCW, but this is the third straight Starcade that's been in this arena. Right, yes. Nashville is just where Starcade happens, baby. Right. <laughs> now, in the dark match opener, Mexican Minis, Masquerita Sagrada, and Octagon Cito beat Jarito Estrada and Piratita Morgan. In about seven minutes, in a match that was reported to Dave as being decently fun and fairly over with the crowd. <laughs> decently fun. I think, you know, whatever, like, smart friend he has in there as his source didn't yeah. want to be like, it was good. Yeah. You know, because it's I, me. So he had to be like, you know, it was cute for what it was. Yeah. Like, he couldn't just, just say, I liked it. He doesn't want to be like, I enjoyed it like a sucker. Yeah, exactly. Much. Yes, exactly. It, sounds, it was probably great. It was probably a lot of fun. I feel like the uh, Purita Morgan sounds like... I feel like that's one of the minis that ends up wrestling in WWF. That well, sounds familiar. Sure. Yeah, and this is, uh, you know, WWF, they are, you know, really close to the Royal Rumble 97, which has a minis match. Because they start doing the stuff with mini Vader, mini Mankind, all oh, that yeah. stuff. Uh, so right now there's a wrestling war, so everyone go get yourself some Mexican minis. Cause, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Arm yourself to the teeth. <laughs> But like uh, this time last year, the WWF and WCW did the same thing with like women's Japanese wrestlers. Suddenly they're That's like, true, yeah. Suddenly like, 
we both have to be using them at the same time and are using like the same wrestlers at some cases. Yeah. And then a year later, there's like now, now the craze it's like they're <laughs> the Christmas craze every year. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, the Furbies. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Moms are elbowing each other at Target to get their Mexican minis. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's also just uh, weird reading about because I was reading about the uh, the the aftermath of this show and just remembering with um, VHS that like this doesn't come out for people to watch until April. Sure. Yeah. And that nowadays sounds really crazy. <laughs> yeah. But but back then, like a few months really was pretty expected, but. Just, yeah. just remembering that, I was like, oh, right. It's like, how much do, does wrestling change in like four, especially <laughs> at this time? Four months is a long right, time. Right, absolutely. We open the show with a pretty decent video package hyping the main event. Uh, it's nothing as artsy or as well-produced as a good WWE-style package, mm-hmm. but it certainly gets the job done. It tells you what the big match is and why it's important and gets yep. you excited to see it. We then go to the arena where Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the sold-out show here in Nashville. Dusty says the hype is over and it's time to get down to fighting. He says that Piper and Hogan both need to focus solely on their opponent and not the outside distractions, or either man could wind up coming up short. For his part, Bobby the Brain Heenan says it's going to be a long night for Hogan. He says that Hollywood has never beat Piper, and tonight he's not going to beat him again. (laughs) Um, And I just thought it should be worth noted that um during the intro and during the really the entire build-up for this match that's just never mentioned the status of the championship they never specifically say it's not for the championship they just never bring it up yeah the the i think they want you maybe they want you to think it's for the championship um the one thing that i think has happened is a couple times on nitro tony has described the match as being bigger than the championship Mm -hmm. which does not preclude it being on the line yeah but it does sort of give a hint at that a little bit yeah i mean i feel like this few could have like just one comment or two from either hogan or piper suggesting like their feud is bigger than the championship right or it's more there's more to it than that just something so you understand that the main event of star cave which is like their granddaddy of them all because i feel yeah. like they use that phrase every now and then like the fact that it's not for the title should be like well known. It also should be explained uh, because the storyline, and I guess we're stealing a lot from my material later in the show. <laughs> okay, no, <laughs> but but uh, no, but this is as good a place as any. Uh, the storyline, if you'll recall, was that uh, they kept de- claiming that Piper wouldn't sign the contract. Right, that was like when Bischoff, before he admitted that he was in the NWO, oh, sure. he kept being like. Yeah, we're just we've got all these sticking points in the contract, but we're trying to get it done. Mm-hmm. And then Piper finally showed up and called his bluff and was like, "No, I want the match. What are you talking about?" Yeah. Then at uh, Fall Brawl or Halloween have whatever where the contract signing was that World War Three? It was World War Three. World War Three. Yeah. So then the NWO all of a sudden doesn't want to sign the contract. Uh, Hogan's the one who's scared of Piper, and Piper goads them into signing a contract that he brought down and presented himself. Mm. So he managed to get them to sign this contract without even reading it. So essentially, if if Piper has written this contract himself and has sort of tricked Hulk Hogan into signing it without ever reading it, yeah. why did Piper not make the title be part of the contract? Oh, right. So you really do need to explain... And and it's actually easy to explain if you took the time to do it. Yeah. Piper is not here to represent WCW. 
uh, he's not here, you know, he's not part of this big interceding um, faction warfare. He's just a guy who's here because Hogan was talking a lot of shit about being the biggest icon. Yeah. Piper couldn't handle it. Piper showed up to confront him uh, after Halloween Havoc. Hogan talked more shit. So Piper was like, you know what? I'm going to whip your ass one more time. And I think you just say, hey, win or lose, Piper's done with wrestling. Yeah. He, he's just, he's finished with it. He just wants to beat Hogan one more time to prove he can. Mm-hmm. And he could win and go off the limelight. It would it would never matter the belt then you you truly the belt is it is more important than the belt mm-hmm. piper doesn't even want the belt if he wins so it's not important yeah he doesn't plan on being an active wrestler with wcw there's no reason for him to be going for the belt if he's not like an active participant in on the roster right like it, it could be it could be very easy to explain that and i mean for the for to wcw's um speak on their behalf it's basically like they never stated it was for the title but right. I, I feel like for any casual fan that sees one of these guys as a world champion, yeah, like you would expect that title to be on the line, right? Absolutely. So, Tony points out that the NWO has grown and seemingly solely for the reason to surround Hulk Hogan with more people to protect him. He promises eight great matches tonight, and with that, David Penzer begins the intros for the first. Out comes the eight belt holder of the J Crown Championship, the Ultimo Dragon. He has Sonny Ono with him, carrying a couple of belts, and the rest are carried on the various body parts of Dragon. <laughs> he spits green mist in the air once he's in the ring, and then out next is the WCW Cruiserweight Champion Dean Malenko with his puny single belt around his waist. Yeah, what does he got? <laughs> the bell rings in the two-man circle as Mike Tanay joins the booth. There's a feeling-out period with some mat-based chain wrestling as Tanay puts over the history that could be made in this match. Dusty says the key for Malenko has to be keeping things on the mat under his control with occasionally with occasional attempts at submissions. Uh, I'm sure he says occasional attempts at uncling because that's just what he calls him. <laughs> Dust- yeah, that's Dusty speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are all, actually that's good points for Dusty commentary, like all salient, all actual things that are, you know, relevant to the match. Yes. Tanae points out that both men are champions and don't have the nothing to lose mentality that a challenger could have both men have belts they're trying to actively protect in the match mm-hmm. uh and so that might they both might be conservative in the match to avoid losing their championships uh also great commentary yes as the chain wrestling continues ono muses to the camera that with an extra belt he'll be able to keep his pants up the crowd chants go dean go as malenko is the undeniable babyface in this matchup uh, they're kind of just doing the typical American versus foreigner story. Yeah. Especially with the evil conniving foreign manager that Ono likes to play. Yeah. Dragon silences the crowd with some stiff kicks to the Iceman's back. Dean gets a side suplex as Tanae briefly explains the history of the J-Crown. Dean works holds on the mat and Tanae puts over Malenko's recent performance in the heavyweight ranks, referring to his 10-minute draw with Regal from back on Monday. Snap suplex by Dragon earns a two-count. USA chants break out, but Dragon is in control with a headlock and a series of kicks. He sits he sits in with a half-crab, which Tony calls kind of a half-crab. Dusty decides to fixate on that for a solid minute and declares it a, quote, whole half-crab. <laughs> uh, there's, like, then a, a good minute and a half to two minutes of Shivani asking Dusty, like, earnestly asking him not to pick apart everything he says all night or <laughs> right. he's just like this is early to start in with this shit <laughs> right. bobby joins in saying it's like being half nuts 
If you're nuts, you're nuts. And if you're in a crab, you're in a crab. Be it a half crab, a full crab, or a stone crab. <laughs> Leave it to a guy who loves spending time in Florida to shoehorn in a stone crab reference. Tony's probably just <laughs> updating his resume at that point. <laughs> More kicks from Dragon, but when he attempts to counter an Irish whip with a float over in the corner, Dean catches his ankles, spins him around, and stands him on the apron, then jabs him with a right hand that sends Dragon sprawling to the mat-covered arena floor. Dragon manages to avoid a baseball slide and seizes the opportunity and seizes the opportunity to hit a scoop slam onto the mats. Dragon hops back into the ring to set up a tope, but when he sees Dean ready to counter it, he pulls up at the last minute and jumps on the middle rope, backflipping to the middle of the ring. Having thrown off Malenko's timing, he springs forward with a tope that lands flush. Both men are down on the outside, and referee Scott Dickinson starts the count. Tanay tells us that Jushin Thunder Liger, who we'll see later on in this show, is going to challenge the winner of this match at New Japan Wrestling's at New Japan Pro Wrestling's January 4th show at the Tokyo Dome. Both men roll back into the ring and Dragon drops an elbow for two. Malenko blocks a suplex and snaps one of his own. Both men are selling ill effects and it's Dragon who crawls over for the weak cover that gets a two. Dean gets a sunset flip for two before Ultimo Dragon gets more kicks and a neckbreaker before trying another pin and getting another two count. With Malenko stuck in an abdominal stretch, the crowd tries to rally him with a second USA chant. Tanay puts over Dragon, pointing out that the Acai Moonsault was pioneered by Dragon and is actually named after his real name. A confused Dusty seems to think that this means Acai means Dragon. He just is, like yeah. completely loses the plot. Uh-huh. Uh, but Acai actually translates to shallow. Stupid uh, shallow dragon. Always, yep. always judging people by their looks. <laughs> Tanay talks about Dragon's career history in Mexico and gently points out that they've Americanized his name in WCW, frequently calling him Ultimate Dragon when he's really Ultimo Dragon, and that that means Final Dragon to indicate the kayfabe idea that uh, Dragon was the last protege of Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. So I decided to see like if that was true or not, and... <laughs> It's it's easily disprovable. Uh, there's like a lot of sites that report it as fact. Like, if you find some bullshit thing, it's like ten things you didn't know about Ultimo Dragon. Yeah, it will say that he was trained by Bruce Lee. Uh, but Ultimo Dragon was on Talk Is Jericho once, and he made it clear that not only was Bruce Lee Chinese, uh, where he's Japanese, You're so right. they did not speak the same language. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, plus, like Bruce Lee was in Hong Kong in America. Whereas Dragon was a uh, six-year-old when Bruce Lee died. So it's not like he had a passport and was leaving Japan to to seek out the tutelage of Bruce Lee. Was it just part of his gimmick then? It was just a total work. Just a gimmick, yeah. Okay. It's just he has a mask on. You don't know how old he is. So unless you're going to sit there and kind of guess at it, you wouldn't know that he was such a young child when Bruce Lee died. Right. Yeah, it's complete bullshit. (laughs) Malenko gets a side suplex but is slow to recover. He follows with a released German suplex for two. Bobby says that he should have grabbed the trunks, and Dusty oddly agrees, suggesting either doing that or breaking your opponent's leg. One of the two will work. <laughs> One of the two. Right. Dean works a submission targeting the leg, but Dragon gets close to the ropes. Dean breaks the hold only to drag him back to the center of the ring, where he reapplies it. Dragon does finally make it to the ropes again, and Dickinson makes Malenko relinquish. A knee breaker and a drop kick to the leg continues the assault before Malenko returns to the same hold from before. The announcers point out that Malenko is setting up the Texas Cloverleaf. 
A USA chant again, but fizzles, despite Dean hitting some elbows in the corner and then avoiding an Ultimo Dragon attempt at a handspring back elbow. Dean takes advantage with kicks to the gut and a power slam, but again he's too wiped to make a quick pin. A spinning heel kick from Dragon sets up a powerbomb for two. Dragon tries for a tombstone, but Dean reverses it into a tombstone of his own for a huge pop and a two count. The crowd is slowly getting really primed. Like, uh, they were a little slow to get into it, but around the time of the tombstone, they are going crazy. Uh, Malenko tries locking the Texas Cloverleaf, but Dragon stumbles to the ropes in a hurry. Malenko nails a butterfly powerbomb for a near fall that the crowd absolutely bought into. They thought that one was over. Dean tries a splash on Dragon, who is against the ropes, but Dragon hangs onto the top rope and Malenko crashes into him, but then spins over top of him, rolling over the top rope and down onto the floor. Dragon joins him on the outside uh, for a little brawling before getting back into the ring, where Malenko tries to follow him, but Dragon punches him, knocking him back to the floor. That sets up the Asai moonsault, and both men are laying on the concrete floor of the entrance aisle. Both men manage to beat the 10 count and climb the turnbuckles in one corner. Dragon knocks Malenko to the floor, but misses a moonsault attempt. Malenko locks in the Texas Cloverleaf and sinks down in, but Ono jumps to the apron, and Malenko very stupidly breaks the hole to approach him. Ono jumps back down off the apron, and Malenko turns back to Ultimo Dragon, who pulls him down with a sudden inside cradle for two. Malenko hits a clothesline and a brainbuster for a near fall. He tries for another, but Dragon manages to flip himself down to his feet. Both men exchange full Nelsons before going through a little reversal exchange that frankly didn't make a ton of sense. Uh, Dragon goes down on the mat like he's trying some kind of small package, but Malenko stays standing, and they're in, uh, so they're basically in the position that Jericho would have you in for the Lion Tamer before he turns over. Yeah. He's standing, like, holding the guy's ankles. Yep. Because Dragon's shoulders are down and Malenko is over him, Scott Dickinson drops down to count, and he gets to two, so then Malenko looks real stupid when he suddenly reaches under Dragon's knees and hoists him up like a wheelbarrow, kind of? It's, he has, so he's holding him, I know this is visual, so it's doing nothing for anyone, but (laughs) he's standing, holding his legs, then the ref starts to pin, so Malenko scoops him up off the mat by the legs, uh, and hoists him up like he's doing a wheelbarrow, Dragon gets his feet under him, so now he's just standing in front of Dean. Uh, then Dragon gets a go-behind and hits the Tiger Suplex for the 1-2-3. Uh, I thought it was a very, very good technical match that slowly brought the crowd in, got them super hot for the finish, but then the design and execution of the finish was not up to the rest of the match. Mm-hmm. Still, I thought that was a really, really, really good match. Um, highlight of the show for me personally, I thought that was the best I guess, you know, we'll get there eventually. But yeah. for me, that was as good as the wrestling is going to get on the show. Uh, what do you think about it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've always liked both of these wrestlers, and they can, you kind of expect a lot out of them when it comes to, like, them having – I mean, they got almost 20 minutes, Yeah, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought – I mean, I thought it was uh, a really good match. I, I see here on, on the Wrestling Observer, it got four and a half stars. Yeah, Dave, uh, he says something like as good a technical match as you're going to see or something like that. Or, or uh, like, In his review, he says something to that effect. Oh, like in WSW? No, much. I don't think he I, – I, I think he's – I think he's saying you could have a better match um, 
but working this specific technical style, like this is like the ceiling. Oh, kinda. sure. So I think that's what he's saying. He doesn't qualify it with like in America or in WCW. It's just like mm-hmm. this is as good of a technical match as like two people can have. Yeah, and and it definitely like any match gets the benefit of like the crowd being into it. Yeah, and the crowd was really into like one, and I felt like it was kind of the crowd got into it when it was appropriate to as well because. You can tell early on when, when it's kind of like that feeling out process and it's not immediately going to be like a, a pinfall or anything like that. Yeah. So, um, no, I thought it was uh, a really good match. I was, I feel like at the time I would be surprised that Ultimo Dragon won because we've yeah. only seen him like a handful of times. Yeah, I mean, he is now the WCW Cruiserweight Champion. The Cruiserweight Championship is uh, folded in for the time being into the J crown title. Yeah. And I know that they, these two have faced each other before on nitro and they always kind of played off this idea that like Ultima dragon just has like a, um, a, like the way that he plans, like he conducts himself in the ring is just a little bit befuddling to Dean Malenko. Mm, sure. Um, so this, this is definitely the, the kind of match not only was really good, but you kind of hope that they have like a rematch, like maybe, the next night or something like that. I've got good news for you because in just over three weeks at Clash of the Champions, we will see these two square off again. Oh, nice, sweet. But yeah, I've always I've always liked Ultimo Dragon, and um, and I do like the idea of like that the J Crown might be stealing pretty much the WCW title. Yeah, it might it might go back to New Japan for a while or something like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be defended at least on the January fourth show. At the Tokyo Dome. Oh, that's so, right. Uh, yes. I, Against, and we'll see his opponent later on, too. We will. And, uh, yeah, so I, I'm definitely going to check out that match on New Japan World. Uh, I, we're not going to talk about it a ton on the show. Right. But I do want to watch that, uh, especially knowing it's for the partly for the Cruiserweight title. Yeah. It'll be fun to watch that match. And I bet it's just a bar. I mean, those are two of my favorite wrestlers. Yeah. Jushin Liger, the, the recently retired Jushin Liger. Mm-hmm. And, uh. And Ultimo Dragon. <laughs> Recently retired in 2020. <laughs> Nuts. Sonny Ono celebrates and revives Dragon, who is surprised to learn that he secured the victory. <laughs> Dragon now concurrently holds active titles from Japan, Mexico, and the United States, which Dave Meltzer believes is a first. We see replay. Okay. Uh, that's just a cool fun fact, I thought. Yeah, that feels like something was like, I mean, I feel like you could try to look into that, but that sounds like it's hard. It'd be hard to look into. Yeah. 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 We see replays, and when those are done, Dragon is totally gone, and Penzer wastes no time introducing the finalists in the WCW Women's Championship Tournament, starting with Akira Hokuto. She comes out in one of her trademark insane outfits, Mm -hmm. a white leather coat with big shoulder pads, uh, gold and silver studs all over it, a sparkly white headband that is holding in place a big poofy white wig, and then a gas mask painted silver. It it rules. It looks so cool. (laughs) She looks amazing. She comes out with her real-life husband, Kensuke Sasaki, who is wearing his street clothes, Mm -hmm. Uh, and Sonny Ono has just stayed at ringside because he's going to be managing her as well. I like the contrast between the husband and wife's outfits. Yes. Kensuke Sasaki's like, I'm just going to wear slides, so that's okay. (laughs) Well-known women's wrestling expert Lee Marshall joins the broadcast. Oh, of course he is. <laughs> the reason uh, given is that he's been calling the matches from this tournament, which is true for four of the six matches that have taken place, the others being on Nitro, which he's not a part of. Oh, sure. But, like, who gives a shit? <laughs> right. Who really gives a flying fuck if Lee Marshall is called 
the majority of the women's title tournament. Look, I need consistency for this tournament, which they've had <laughs> matches out of order. It's just like they wanted to make sure he got on TV and got a little payday for Starcade. He got that sweet Starcade money. <laughs> After being introduced, he almost immediately fucks up and calls Akira Hokuto Akita Hokuto. <laughs> Great. Yeah, he's a well-known uh, dog breed. Very, very <laughs> good job. Already getting the benefits of his involvement. Medusa comes out with an American flag. She gets pyro and a good pop from the crowd, which has already established its pro-America bona fides. <laughs> Her fake tan is a little much tonight. She went a little overboard with the bronzer. Oh, or maybe just in the booth. I guess I'm not sure. Yeah. To get to the finals, Medusa defeated Reina Jabuki, uh, which was Akira Hokuto under a mask. You're right. <laughs> uh, and Zero, who was uh, Chigusa... Oh, I'm not good at remembering names, but... Yeah, uh, she was the bigger power one zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Akira Hokuto beat Maiko Satomura and uh, Kairu, which um, I think is just a, either I forgot to put a first or last name, or they're a one name wrestler. Yeah, uh, those were all on B shows basically. Mm-hmm. Nick Patrick. So uh, and just as a housekeeping note, uh, for some of the matches, I wrote like a full kind of typical 20 years of nitro description. Some I took more quick notes, even though I still have a lot of them. They're just not as fleshed out perhaps. Sure. Uh, so that, this is one of the ones where I kind of kept my notes a little quicker. <laughs> right. I feel like I knew where you're going with that line of commenting. Uh, Nick Patrick is the ref and they keep accusing him of shenanigans in this match. Some kind of pro Hokuto bias, but I, I don't see it. I actually don't think he does any fast counts. I don't think he lets her get away with anything. I think they're just talking about it to have something to talk about <laughs> well because like it's nick patrick has to be doing something right but there's no nwo members in this yeah that's the thing is is i think and they kind of did this when he started the whole nwo thing they sort of confused is he just a heel who favors heels or is he nwo right i think now it's pretty established that he's nwo so there wouldn't really be much benefit uh, unless he's just being a dick, which I, uh, that would be fine. I wouldn't have a huge problem with it. But he's in this match. He's really not. He's calling it down the middle. Yeah. Uh, we get some hair whips by Hokuto. Saniono trips Medusa, which pisses off Kensuke Sasaki, which is a really weird mini storyline they do in the match here, where occasionally Ono will cheat and Kensuke Sasaki gets really pissed about it. But Akira Hokuto is totally fine with it. And I don't know to what purpose this serves because this is not a storyline that's going to be followed up with in WCW. Yeah. Kensuke Sasaki, uh, even if Hokuto wins, uh, spoiler alert, she does. But, like, it's not like Kensuke Sasaki is about to become a main character on WCW programming. This Mm -hmm. goes nowhere. This is, I don't even know if they talked about it ahead of time or it was just, like, Kensuke Sasaki is a Japanese wrestler. He doesn't like a bunch of interference spots because that wasn't something really common there. Mm-hmm. I, do, I don't know. It's really weird. It's it's very strange. Lee Marshall describes uh, this match as a contrast of styles, claiming that Medusa is as strong as any male athlete and that Hokuto's offense is more tricky because that's something, something sneaky Japanese people, something, <laughs> something. Right. Still reaping the benefits of him being on commentary. Meanwhile, Hokuto stands in the middle rope holding Medusa in a dangling choke while Nick Patrick gives a five count. Hokuto sits up on the top turnbuckle and Medusa does the uh, handstand head scissors deal that seems to be like a women's only move. Yeah. Hokuto chokes Medusa on the ropes. Uh, Patrick counts. 
Hokuto chokes Medusa on the ropes again. Hokuto tries some submissions, but through the power of USA chance, Medusa does not give in. <laughs> Hokuto bites Medusa's shoe. Well, Heenan claims if Sonny Ono can help Hokuto win the WCW Women's Championship immediately after capturing the WCW Cruiserweight Championship, uh-huh. they will throw him a huge parade in Tokyo, and he will be bigger than the Emperor of Japan. <laughs> If we're going to lie, just go big. <laughs> uh, we get a scoop slam by Hokuto for two, then uh, some face busters and a scoop slam by Medusa for a one count. We get some more chokes uh, by Hokuto on Medusa, which gets some more USA chance from the crowd. Hokuto then tries a cross arm breaker, which I always think is funny because they never call it that. They still are. They still go like, oh, it's a code red type maneuver. As if everyone's oh. super familiar with Craig Pittman's finisher. <laughs> right. Like we all, everyone's like, oh, like Pittman does, of yeah, course, yeah, right. Yeah, him. <laughs> because he, he wins so many matches, you get to see that finisher a lot. Medusa escapes and hits a bad float over DDT. Hokuto hits a bridging German suplex for one count. Medusa hits a bad tornado DDT and a better powerbomb for two. Medusa tries for another powerbomb, but this time as she rolls Hokuto up, she... Also falls backwards. I'm not sure if the momentum of Hokuto got too much of her or if that was the plan. It looks like it might be a botch. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, adding to the theory that it's a botch, Hokuto lands with her full weight right on Medusa's chest uh, in just a really awkward way that looks painful as hell mm-hmm. uh, for a two count. Meanwhile, the announcers try not to say boobs. <laughs> They're like, she fell on her... Uh, <laughs> Uh, area. (laughs) (laughs) Medusa gets a bridging German for two. Uh, That's her finisher, so it's a pretty big deal that Hokuto kicks out of that. But no one really realizes that. Yeah, yeah, the crowd does not treat it like it's a big deal, that's for sure. Uh, Nor do the announcers. Mm -hmm. Superplex by Hokuto gets a two count. Medusa dropkicks Hokuto off the top rope into the floor. While Patrick is checking up on Hokuto, he misses Sonny Ono, hit Medusa with the American flag in the back. A missile drop kick from Hokuto and a Northern Lights bomb seals the deal, and Akira Hokuto is your first ever WCW Women's Champion. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, it was not very good, oh. uh, you know. Uh, the women's wrestling in 1996 was not what it is in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Akira Hokuto is usually pretty good, and I think Medusa has had good matches, but. She doesn't get any fucking practice in WCW. She's not. She never gets to wrestle, so it's not. I don't even blame her for not looking real tight in the ring. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I just don't know if I feel like Medusa has regressed as a wrestler since coming to WCW. Yeah, or if it's more the case of well, in the WWF, she always fought like a big person, right? And that was always the style that she wrestled. And since she's been in WCW. She's always facing people like her size or smaller, and it's a completely yeah. different way of wrestling. I I, just, I don't really remember the Lunder Blaze matches that well to know if that if she yeah. was like good then either. I don't either. I was that's not an era that I watched a ton of, and yeah. I I can't remember an Lunder Blaze match off the top of my. I like I know she had matches against Bull Nakano. I couldn't tell you about any of them. I just know that they happened. Yeah. But but it's just I mean in theory this whole women's division in WCW like she's supposed to be the one carrying it yeah and when you any like the few matches you've seen with her it's just like what are we doing here you know yeah and uh, you know I guess the idea is it's more exciting to have a babyface chase um, oh sure but I just think 
clearly the division is built around her. Let her be the first champion. Right. You know? I And I know I think wrestling is typically booked the way that they did it here with the heel winning at first. So they know what they're doing more than, than I do, clearly. Um, but when someone is such the centerpiece of the division, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, okay, we're kicking off the division with a true championship, and the person who we're asking you, the audience, to invest in the most every week or every three months when we actually put on a women's match, yeah. we're just showing you right off the bat that she's a loser. You right. know, I, I don't I don't love it. And not only that, but, like, there's no indication that even the, the heel is going to be someone that's going to be around. Right. I mean, if they brought in a heel that that's going to be uh, like on WCW regularly, that's a different thing. Yeah. But if it's someone where you feel like she's just doing a couple of dates coming from Japan, yeah, and is going to go back and be and return question mark, you yeah. know, it just it doesn't feel like it has like a real long term like plan to that. Yeah, and spoiler alert. Uh, I don't think Medusa ever gets the WCW Women's Championship. Well, spoiler alert, Akira Hokutu is the only women's champion. Uh, yeah, yeah. well, I th- I, th- I thought I had more notes about this. In my, in, or at least in WCW. If yeah. it changes again, it changes in like, yeah. like uh, war or something like that, like. This is essentially yeah, there is like a, a title change in Japan in a few years, I think. And it's mm-hmm. like no one even knows if it really counts and no one cares. Like that's it's there's no canon for like whether that one counted or not, because like even after it changed, it like never got defended again. And no one gave Although, a shit. We actually might be talking about the women's cruiserweight title, which comes next year. Oh, boy. Which they bring and they don't bring back the women's championship. Oh, wow. So, uh, essentially, like, the big spoiler here is yeah. this is all you're really going to see of the women's yeah. title is yep. this tournament, which was awful and mismanaged. And, and you, as if you're a casual watcher, you maybe saw one of the tournament matches of the first round. Right. You have no idea who any of these people are. Yeah, there were six tournament matches, and we saw two of them. And now this is the third one. And uh, and we're never going to see the belt defended. <laughs> it's pretty sad, right? So uh, after the match, Hokuto hugs Sasaki. Sasaki gets pissed at Sonny Ono holding the American flag, and Ono runs over to Hokuto for protection. She hugs him, and we see replays. And Lee Marshall is dismissed. <laughs> right? Seriously, Lee Marshall, get the fuck out! Of here. <laughs> Tony tells us that you can hop over to wcwwrestling.com to chat with DDP. Or to hear the internet commentary, which you can see is being delivered just behind page by Mark Madden. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who he's working with. You can only see Madden. But I don't know if I'm one of the people who ordered the pay-per-view. Certainly, I'm not the target audience for the internet commentary. I have the real commentary. Right. (laughs) I mean, even if you're not, like, if you, for some reason, are just like, I just can't stand Tony Giovanni. I mean, don't you want, like, at least to get Bobby Heenan? Yeah, well, there's no way that the internet commentary doesn't, in 1996, it definitely lags. There's no way it, like, oh, syncs sure. up with the live pay-per-view. Yeah. I refuse to believe that. I, want, I wonder if he's, like, doing commentary and something like, oh, my feet, it's buffering, it's buffering, <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. Then we go to the locker room where Mean Gene Okerlund welcomes Rowdy Rowdy Piper to the Music City. Gentlemen, I thank you very much. We are back in the locker room area tonight, the big main event. Some are calling it the match of the decade, I've got to say. It is the match of the century. From the NWO, Hulk Hogan will be facing my guest at this time. 
in the role of challenger. He's done that many times over the years when I've covered him. Rowdy Roddy Piper, welcome to Music City, USA. It seems like we get together traditionally at this time of the year, one reason or another, but tonight, I guess much more important. Since you arrived at Halloween Havoc, you have made your intentions perfectly clear. You're standing on your own ground, not for World Championship Wrestling, but for Rowdy Roddy Piper, and Hogan has really done it this time. He has stirred up a hornet's nest. <laughs> I gotta tell you, uh, Music City, USA, I sing like a bird, like a vulture! <laughs> and people telling me, oh, you're gonna kick Hogan's butt, it's gonna be no problem. Are you kidding? He's six foot seven, 270 pounds! I'm a midget! Sky Lolo, me right there, baby! With Hogan, gonna be a walk in the park. Jurassic Park, honey. Have you seen this guy? Have you seen what he's thinking? I have! I don't listen to him. I just look at him. I watch that big dumb mug. He's perfectly suntanned. I watched him come in in the limousine, the long Volkswagen, and here he comes, and here it is, the match of the icons. Not wound up yet, but I'm getting there. There's plenty, folks, of icons. Thing that's been kind of P.O. on me is like, we are the only icons ever in the whole history of the sport of professional wrestling. There's a little man out there, dead and bought all from 77 to the rest of the time, was in I Dusty Rhodes, the American dream. There's the guy, Strangler Lewis. Couple of folks heard of him. Guy, George Gorgeous George. Couple of folks heard of him. And then there's this big mountain, Hogan. You know, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be something. I said, I want to be something. Give me an instrument. They gave me the bagpipes and a dress. Mm. I'm the one that can call a dress. You know why? Because I'm tough enough, too. I went with that. What am I going to do? A piano? Hard to carry in a parade, brother. Hard to carry. My whole life has been hard. Six kids I've had to feed. My whole life has been hard. I left home when I was 13. You think I'm going to give up? Not a chance. Of course, it's the season tidings. There was tidings in reverse. And they say, it's better to give than receive. No, this will not be a problem. You see, if you take Hogan's ego, did I say Hogan's? Hogan's ego, what's your name? Roseanne Barr's broke up, it. put it on his head. It's a yarmulke. See you later. Wait a minute, Roddy, don't go away. I've got to ask you this in closing. What about the hip? Let's get you back to the ring. Gene sets up Piper, who goes on a classic Piper diatribe, where nothing makes a ton of sense, but it's delivered so well that it hardly matters. Piper starts off strong by putting over Hogan. He says people keep telling him that he's going to easily beat Hogan, but Hogan is 6'7 and 270 pounds, and Piper is a little person by comparison. He says sarcastically it'll be a walk in the park, Jurassic Park, and it took me a second to realize he wasn't making an age joke, he was commenting on how slim a shot he would have against, like, an actual giant scary dinosaur. Right. It's like, it's Jurassic Park is not the m movie you should be evoking right now. Everyone is going to take that differently than you mean it, Roddy. <laughs> Piper talks about Hogan's limo, Hogan's tan, 
and how Piper and Hulk aren't the only true icons. What about Dusty Rhodes, Ed Strangler Lewis, and Gorgeous George? Piper says that as a kid, he wanted to be something, and he asked for an instrument, and they gave him the bagpipes and a dress. Piper says that he's tough enough to wear it and call it a dress, and that he didn't have any money and that he didn't have many other options because pianos are too heavy to carry in a parade. <laughs> Alrighty. Piper says that his whole life has been hard, and that he left home at 13. He quickly pivots to Christmas talk, and says that it's better to give than to receive, which won't be a problem. He ends by saying that Hogan's ego has gotten his head so big that if you took Roseanne Barr's bra cup and put it on Hogan's head, it would actually be yarmulke-sized. Uh-huh. No, I gotcha. Yeah. Only Piper delivers that so all over the place that, like, you really have to work as an audience to understand <laughs> that that's right. what the joke is. Yeah. <laughs> to close, Gene asks Piper about his hip, and Piper hops away on his bad leg. His very serious face as he's hopping on one leg mm-hmm. and Gene's very serious reaction uh, make it very, very funny. Yeah. It's just a, a man in a kilt who just made a joke about Roseanne's bra size yeah. uh, hopping with a, just an angry expression. Some, sometimes um, I think about like how like WWE had like that whole video making fun of the Ultimate Warriors promos and how they were all over the place. Yeah. It didn't make any sense. And then you just get you get reminded that the wrestlers of the eighties and nineties, they all did promos like that. Yeah. I yeah, Piper probably more than most. I and like Hogan does. Yeah, Hogan a lot goes of, all over yeah. the place. That's very true. I mean this one was just like you you just never know what he's going to focus on, you know? You remember when you remember when Hogan had that line um he was cutting a promo on the giant and how he's going to beat him. And then all of a sudden he started talking about how afterward he was going to go to heaven and body slam gorgeous George. Yeah. And it was that like, sort of thing. Are you setting up a program with a ghost? <laughs> right. Yeah. It <laughs> was so truly bizarre. Or, or when he, when he, when Piper's invoking like past legends, like Ed Strangler Lewis is yeah. kind of a, that's a deep cut. That is. I like that personally. I thought yeah, that was cool. I do. I I like all the the craziness and not knowing exactly what he's going to say next. Yeah. Because you also feel like he doesn't know what he's going to say next. It's like it just kind of spills out of his mouth and you just have to like kind of figure out if it makes sense or not. Yeah. When we return to the arena, out comes one of the greatest, if not the greatest, junior heavyweight wrestlers of all time. The recently reset the recently retired Japanese legend Jushin Thunder Liger. He's appeared very occasionally for WCW in our timeline, uh, first on the debut Nitro, losing to Brian Pillman, then on last year's Starcade event where he defeated Chris Benoit, and again on the May 6th, 1996 Nitro, where he lost to Dean Malenko in a match that I described at the time as damn good. <laughs> uh, I, don't, he, I don't remember that one, to be honest. He was also on Slamboree 96, where he came up short against Conan, now, oh, that is a match I don't remember. That's a bummer. Yeah. I, I know we didn't do an episode for Slamboree, uh, so maybe that's why. I, I, I watched it, I'm sure, but yeah, him losing to Conan mm. is woof. Yeah. Uh, so while we have seen Jushin Thunder Liger before on our show, uh, he started, he, he debuted in the period where I was not introducing characters with biographies yet. Okay. Because uh, he was on the first episode, and we didn't really have that gimmick at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, and as we are at this point only, you know, about a month, not even a month yet, removed from Liger's very moving retirement, 
over the two nights of Wrestle Kingdom and then at New Year's Dash, I thought that I would give some background on the man born Keichi Yamada. Born in 1964, making him 32 years old at the time of Starcade, Yamada was born in Hiroshima. He was an amateur wrestler in high school and hoped to join the New Japan Dojo after graduation, but he was denied because he did not meet the height requirements. <laughs> Yamada left Japan for Mexico, where he began training. According to Liger, he was nearly starving while living in Mexico and training, uh, and some visiting New Japan officials noticed, took pity on him, and invited him back to his home country to train in their dojo. Took pity on him. There he trained uh, along with names like Mudo, Chono, and Hashimoto, making his debut in March of 1984 as a Young Lion. He participated in the Young Lions Cup in 1985 and the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship League in 1986. Yamada won the Young Lions Cup on his second try in 1986 and then went on excursion to Europe where he trained where he wrestled for England's All-Star Wrestling as Flying Fuji Yamada. <laughs> From England, he went to Canada, where he wrestled for Stu Hart Stampede Wrestling, which included some additional training in the infamous Hart Dungeon. He's fucking ancient, man. <laughs> Upon his return to Japan in 1987, Yamada debuted a new move he invented called the Shooting Star Press, the idea for which he had taken from a manga. He got occasional junior heavyweight title shots throughout 1987-88, before leaving for a second trip through Canada. It was only a few months into this second Canadian excursion that New Japan offices called him back to Japan as they felt that he was the man best matched for their new gimmick based on a very popular anime character that had debuted in March of 1989, Jushin Liger, which translates to Beast God Liger. Nice. Uh, Liger, of course, being the offspring of a lion and a tiger. Oh, I've actually seen a Liger before, if you can believe it, Dave. I can. <laughs> you can? Have, you can you believe a, such a thing? Have you been to a zoo before? <laughs> no, this was at a circus museum, of all things. A, oh. It, so, the circus museum had a circus. Oh. Uh, and they had a Liger as part of their shit. <laughs> when you said circus museum, I was like, oh, that sounds like it's like stuffed. No, no, not this particular one. Yeah. I don't know if they still have the circus. <laughs> not in Wisconsin yet. somewhere. <laughs> uh, Baraboo, maybe? Anyway, not important. Yeah. New Japan had successfully brought an animated an anime character to life before with Tiger Mask, mm -hmm. but whereas the character of Tiger Mask from the manga and anime was a professional wrestler, Jushin Liger was a teenage boy with the ability to transform himself into a demonic holy warrior <laughs> who sought to prevent the Drago Knights from awakening their evil master, the devil god, Jashin Drago. Japanese wrestling is so awesome. <laughs> Yamada debuted the new Jushin Liger gimmick at the January 4th Tokyo Dome show in 1989, where he defeated a major antagonist of Tiger Masks, Kuniyaki Kobayashi. The character originally had a different, though thematically similar, costume. Uh, it's got more of a Power Rangers mask than the demon mask that we all know and associate with. Okay. Uh, with. Uh, but as the anime character progressed and powered up, so did Liger the wrestler, uh, in terms of like his look and costume, it sort of would incorporate like if the guy in the show got a new power, he might add like a new element to his mask. So that's also why he added the thunder to his nickname in 1990. Uh, that was a, a new element on the show as well. Liger very quickly became a top junior heavyweight, winning the division's championship title seven times between 1989 and our present of December 1996. 
He had title matches with the likes of Chris Benoit, El Samurai, Ultimo Dragon, Sabu, The Great Sasuke, and many more. He also made appearances in WCW in 1991 and 1992, where he primarily feuded with Brian Pillman over the WCW Light Heavyweight Championship, which Luger held for a couple of months. With Eric Bischoff rekindling the New Japan Wrestling WCW partnership in 1995, he has, as we mentioned, appeared sporadically for the promotion. Liger was primarily a high-flying wrestler, though we are in the midst of his transition to a more mat-based power guy, the result of character evolution, aging, and the fact that he had a fucking brain tumor removed from his goddamn brain Mm -hmm. six months ago. Yeah. That is so goddamn crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. He gets a mixed reaction from the crowd. Uh, you can't really blame them because they just saw two Japanese heels. So I think they're just right. like, oh, another Japanese of, guy. He's being kind of set up here. Uh, but he comes out and he's like saluting and waving and high-fiving. So like there are people who are like, oh, okay, th- this uh, this one, he's one of the good ones. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, <he> also- okay. <laughs> He also doesn't have Ono with him, so I think that's a good clue yeah. for the crowd. Uh, his cape rules. Just want to note that he's <laughs> got a cool about cape. Everything about Jushin Thunder Liger I rules. I fucking agreed. Uh, then Rey Mysterio Jr. comes out to a positive, if maybe a bit quiet, reception. And here to call all the action for this one is our own Beast God, Dave Amontorp. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Beast God Amontorp. Beast God. <laughs> Um, I was also going to mention just about Jushin Thunder Liger. One of the things that I loved about him is the, uh, I don't know if it's pronounced how this is pronounced, but the, uh, the Kishin Liger that the, the evil alternate version. Oh yeah. If you take off his, uh, mask, it turns out that he's just got white face paint underneath and he's very scary. (laughs) Yeah. So he, his, uh, the first time that he did that was against the great Muta and that was in 1996. And Muta is another guy who, uh. Like, Great Muda is an alter ego of KG Mudo, and yeah. they kind of are, like, mirror images of the same person. So that's a perfect guy to debut some crazy-ass thing like that. Yeah, and so the, he did that just a few months ago um, in our timeline here, yeah. and it's going to be another 10 years before he d- shows it again. Wow. He does it, I believe it's four times, and it's over, like, a 24-year period. So Mudo, 10 years from now, the mo- most recent one against Suzuki... Yeah. Cool. That's so cool. Yeah. And I mean, just to have like this outrageous, like evil side of you and yeah. just have the the ability to resist using it so much. Yeah. Um, because I when I read about it, people were comparing it to like when uh, Finn Balor is like the demon. Oh, sure. Which I think is a fair comparison. But he's not, he does that like a few times. The weird a inverse is, here. though, when he does it, he seems to lose because I believe he loses to Muto. And he lost to Suzuki. I'm pretty sure. Well, that um, that one he just he turns into that in a, during a match, and they get disqualified because he uses like a spike. Oh, okay. He typically doesn't do it like uh, like he doesn't. He never wrestled as that. He sure, becomes it that, happens, during, and he usually yeah. gets himself disqualified as a result. <laughs> That's awesome. That's <laughs> so cool. But I mean, just everything about Jushin Thunder Liger was awesome. And yeah. And even to like the just the very and because I watched his matches um, at the most like his last two matches. Yeah. And he still he could still go, you know, which is crazy because like he when he first started wrestling, I was just thinking about like 
It was like two years after Hogan won his first WWF title. Yeah. Like Reagan was president. <laughs> God, it seems crazy that he was retiring, given that he was still so good. Um, and I think it's because the mask and the full body suit make like they just mask his age so well. And the big yeah. wig like you're not seeing him bald. You're not seeing him get wrinkles. You're not seeing mm-hmm. a little muffin top and his like pecs start to sag yeah like he just looks the same as he always did right um so like that really helped him last so long um and then just the fact that his body did an amazing job holding up uh yeah and and it was a transition that happened really right around where we're at in time right now where he slowly settled in from a high flyer to like a ground game Mm -hmm. and it just so happened he was fucking great at both of them yeah, and another thing that's just wild about him is that he, so he's like an eleven-time junior heavyweight champion in New Japan. Yeah, you know he held. I mean, it's like, uh, he held it for like fifteen years worth of time or something like that. Yeah, but then he never held it again after two thousand. Right. Yeah, it was like uh, an incredible amount of time where he was still a top junior heavyweight. Yeah. Although at at a certain point in the two thousands, uh, he was a heavyweight for like most of the time. He also was a heel at one weird point in mm-hmm. the, I know the two thousands had a lot of weird new Japan stuff that people don't look on very fondly. Yeah. Um, so I, and I don't know if people, I'm sure his wrestling was good, but it, it'd be pretty bizarre to see a match with him as a heel. I should find some on new Japan world and watch him. Yeah. But, but just like a legend like that, that basically was like, well, I mean, I made the, the junior heavyweight title, but I'm not going to win anymore. Yeah. But he didn't like win any other championships pretty much. Like he won the tag titles occasionally. Yeah. But there's just, I, it was like, uh, you know, sometimes when they talk about someone like John Cena or Randy Orton that just don't win the championship anymore because it doesn't mean anything to them. Right. Like, it doesn't it doesn't uh, add to their their legacy or anything yeah. like that. And it seems like a guy like Jushin Liger realized that years before right, people right, in WWE right. kind of caught on to that. Right. And it's just, there's something admirable about that where he's just not, he's not like, well, you know what? I feel like I should be champion again for a while. You right. Know? He got his reins in. He got him in really early, and then he was done. Well, and similar uh, unselfishness in his retirement. I think there were so many matches towards the end there that people thought, hey, you know what? Like, he should win this one. And Mm -hmm. he didn't. He did the thing you're, quote, supposed to do, and he lost. Yeah. And, like, uh, I think especially that last one um, against, uh, 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 why can't I think of his name now? Uh, Takata. Uh, You know, certainly, like, I don't think Hiromu would be hurt by getting pinned in Jushin Liger's last match, you know, like, I don't think that would do him any harm. Um, but Liger wanted to go out, you know, putting over the young guys. He wanted to do it the right way, the unselfish way. And like the unselfish way, just that's, that's his whole career. Really? He's, Mm -hmm. he really, he defined that. I mean, I, I bet he lost like so many in a row of his last matches. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, but and that's something where it's like you can kind of see that in someone like the Undertaker, for example. Right. When he loses at WrestleMania, then he like loses again at WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah. Like he's like he's a guy that's so willing to put over, um. When when it feels like well, this might be his like his his last last rodeo, his last ride here. Right. Why doesn't he go out on top? Like going out on his uh, shield instead, pretty much. But we. 
we're in 1996 right now, and we're far ways away from that actually happening. We're yes. still in, it, he's like, what, 12 years into his career, but he's like in his prime still. Yeah, what did I say, 32 years old right now at the as of this Starcade, I think? Yeah, I mean, that sounds about right. Yeah. So we get some uh, some nice USA chance to start the match, which is actually factually correct with Rey Mysterio Jr. <laughs> yes. And this is, I did look it up. This is, in fact, the first ever match, like singles match between these two. Yes, um, correct. Which is, it's not, I mean, I did some research, but really they've been just in different countries yeah. for the most part. So there was really no opportunity for them to wrestle each other. So the match starts off with really no one gaining the upper hand, exchanging headlocks and drop kicks before Jushin Liger gets the first big move of the match, which was a vertical suplex. Liger, at this point, seems to be embracing his role of the match of being both the heel and the big man, which we now have kind of discussed a lot. Yeah. Uh, as he punishes Mysterio with headbutts before he flattens him with a powerbomb. There's also a moment uh, kind of early. I forget exactly what's going on, but he's on the outside. Uh, and he like kicks a guardrail in frustration and like it's great the way that he subtly is like okay i'm the heel here yeah i'm not the cheating evil heel right but i'm the guy who's bigger i've got Mm. the big thicker body yeah uh so you know i'm just gonna do things that make me look like kind of an arrogant jerk a little bit Mm -hmm. um and and where i'm just the one who's like cutting off the exciting guy from doing the stuff the crowd wants to see right the best um kind of comparison i could think of was brett hart against uh the one two three kid oh sure we're like brett's the champion he's the baby face champion he's the biggest baby face in the company mm-hmm. but for this one match he adds just enough to be like the crowd wants the other guy to win this one right you know even though he's not evil he's not a bad guy yeah he's just he's he's doing the subtle things it's because He's facing someone that he feels like he outmatches so much. Yes. That the fact that he's just not wiping the floor with him is frustrating. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. the The parallels there are. I can see those. Um. Mysterio eventually recovers, giving Liger a her Karana, which takes both men to the arena floor and the momentum or whatever. So there's no disqualification. Then does his little twirl through the ropes when Liger avoids being hit with a follow up. Mysterio tries to suplex Liger back into the ring, but it's reversed, and it sure looked like uh, Ray bonks his noggin on the ring apron when he goes down to the arena floor. So uh, Liger suplexes him out of the ring, yeah, and it looks like he kind of hits his head, and he's he's favoring his head a little bit, but it doesn't really seem to affect the match or anything like that. It mm-hmm. just looks like he might have gotten a kind of square on the corner of the apron there. Sure. Liger then power bombs Ray on the floor and seems content in getting a countout victory. So, again, still playing up the yep. heel thing. Maybe at this point he's getting, like, frustrated with Reigns. It's like, I just want to win now. I just want to get this match over with. Yeah. Mysterio manages to get back into the ring where he suffers more punishment in the form of a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker and a surfboard. After releasing the hole, Liger finds himself on the receiving end for once as Ray hits a release German suplex. Ray Mysterio Jr. hits a springboard dropkick, then applies a camel clutch of all things. Another springboard attempt by Mysterio backfires as Liger catches him in midair with a dropkick. Ray is the best at getting caught in the air with a dropkick. Yeah. I think I've even mentioned the specific one in my head that I always think of, which is like a 2010 match between Ray Mysterio and John Morrison uh, for Ray's Intercontinental title. It was just mm-hmm. on SmackDown. 
Uh, and it was a very sudden title change because Ray was about to get suspended for uh, <laughs> wellness policy violation. Right. right. So they like they quickly get the IC title off him with this match on SmackDown. And there's a moment that I remember, and I just kind of come back to wrestling um, from you. You got me back into it. And I remember watching this match, and Ray comes off the top rope, and Morrison catches him with a dropkick, and it's just picture perfect. And, yeah. like, that one example of that move happening in that context has, like, stayed with me since this random SmackDown match in 2010. Right. I think about it all the time. Yeah, I mean, and you talk about, like, guys that do picture perfect wrestling those are two of them right there yes yeah mentioning john morrison who just returned to the wwe again yeah still has crushed abs yeah like even though he's like in his mid 40s well goddamn edges abs have like never looked better he looked (laughs) incredible i the thing with edge because he got pretty gassed after like a few minutes and it's like if he starts doing like the the house show trips We'll see how long those abs I can't have. imagine his contract includes house shows. I, probably not. Especially not. He seems like a, uh, and I don't want to just infer from what a guy says on Twitter, but he seems like a very involved dad. And I would oh, just, sure. I couldn't imagine that he would sign up, especially since uh, I think he was partially able to get cleared by using uh, what was apparently a lucrative AEW offer as leverage. Oh, nice. Uh, so I think I think if he if, if indeed that's the case and he had that leverage, as has been reported, uh, he was probably able to get a a like they're they're signing a lot of deals like that now mm-hmm. where a certain guy is able to get. They didn't they never used to do that. Yeah. Uh, but in that way, you AEW has clearly been beneficial for the talent. Yes. And good for the wrestlers for getting yes. as much money as they can. Absolutely. Although I now regret the fact he doesn't go to didn't go to AEW and it was called Sexton Hardcastle again. <laughs> yes. That would have been awesome. That would have been great. Although I imagine they probably would have what? Adam Copeland. Adam Copeland, yeah. I would think. Well what lame. Okay. Anyway, let's get back to nineteen ninety six. Yes. Um okay, we're at that drop kick. Jushin Thunder Liger then folds Ray in half the hard way with a single-leg Boston Crab. Liger piles on the offense while Dusty Rhodes laughs his goofy-ass head off over the name Dragon Screw <laughs> Leg Whip. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, Tanae says it, and as always, we must make fun of Tanae for knowing moves. Right. It's very embarrassing that this guy knows what he's talking about. It's <laughs> Right. It's a move that has four words in it. Yeah. How silly is that? And uh, Dusty says that later, when his wife asks him, uh, presumably this is while they're fucking, just from the context <laughs> yes. of his joke. He Be- says, Believe she, me, I caught that part. <laughs> when, when she goes, ooh, what was that? He's going to reply, that was a dragon through whip whip. <laughs> right. My attempt at doing the lisp really messed up the pronunciation of the whole thing. But. Which makes it a really yeah. good <laughs> lisp then. The two trade off high fly moves until Liger misses a baseball slide out of the ring, staggering him long enough for Mysterio to hit an acai moonsault from the top rope to the floor, which even today still looks amazing. Yeah, I bet he was partly doing that because. Asai's right there in the building. Let's right. show and, what we can and do. And he did it. He did it for the middle rope, so the Ray does it for the top rope. <laughs> I've I I hope that somewhere Ultimate Dragon was like, "Fuck you, ah, Ray. God damn it! I got to do <laughs> right. that now." He's mad. He has, he has to throw each belt down one by one in yeah. anger. Ugh. After a long nine count, the men return to the ring, where Mysterio hits Liger with a guillotine leg drop uh, as he was laid out on the middle rope. However, this move can only get him a two count. Ray sets Liger in the middle of the ring, but misses a springboard sent on. 
Liger quickly goes to the top rope and hits a flying headbutt for a two count. Ray tries a springboard from the apron to the ring rope to hit a Hurricanrana, but Liger just brushes him off. Big move. Big man move right there. Jushin Thunder Liger then hits the Liger Bomb and gains a pinfall victory, albeit one where Mysterio appears to nearly kick out a three. And I think if you play replay, he it's really close. Mm. It was a huge Liger Bomb. It looked great. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a thing where it's like you can tell that there's times when Liger's like he likes being the big man. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, um, I I got to be honest. I feel like this match was a, was a little bit better than the cruiserweight title match really interesting because i felt that this match was good but i expect a lot more i didn't think it was really great mm-hmm. um tell me more about your thoughts on it. well I, I mean i think it's just uh seeing liger in this role yeah was so compelling to me um like not only being a big man but being a heel and to me there's just like something charming about jushin thunder liger being a heel where it's just like i know i know you what you're doing I don't I I can't hate you though. Yeah. Like who can hate you? You're like you're a child's like cartoon character. Like how can you possibly be a bad guy? But just it's it, there's something about like Liger and Mysterio against each other and feeling like like how did they not meet up before this? You yeah. Know? Like yeah. They're, they're they're I feel like they're destined and unfortunately I don't know how many times they face each other, but I feel like they're destined to have like years of matches against each sure, other. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to watch um, some other ones and see how I feel about those. Because I just felt here like um, there were just I, I know that they're both capable of a lot more. And maybe they were holding back because, I mean, for a few reasons. One, uh, they haven't had a match before, so they got to feel each other's chemistry out a yeah. little bit. Uh, two, Liger has at most because he had a match I looked up on December 23rd. So at most, he's been in the country for three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's probably jet lagged and just tired. Sure. He's got a match at the biggest show of the year for New Japan against Ultimo Dragon in like a week. Yeah. So he's probably not looking to kill himself prior to that one. Sure. So there's a number of reasons why I think it's okay that they... It's, this is not a house show match. They're not like taking it easy exactly. Yeah. I just know they're capable of pushing themselves a lot mm-hmm. more and maybe I was looking for that. Um, so it was good. It just was not, I don't know, maybe maybe I just yeah. was expected to be blown away. And instead I was like, oh, that was very good. Good job, guys. And and so we're sitting here. We've had three matches in a row in which the, the Japanese wrestlers have won. Yeah. And two of them, they won championships. That was the other thing I was about to say is that clearly is taking a toll on the crowd. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, I think that they're starting to be like, shit, are we just going to like come out here and chant USA and get disappointed all night long? Right. I mean, even if it, it's even, I mean, hopefully it's not like a case of like hating the Japanese wrestlers. Yeah. But it is like the wrestlers you don't know beating the guys you exactly. do know. And what, which, yeah, if you do it three times in a row, eventually the crowd's like, when are we going to get something? Yeah. <laughs> and know? I think it kind of kills the crowd for a little bit. Um, I think they pick up later, but mm-hmm. I think there is like a lull in the middle of the show, uh, which is partly reflective of the matches, but is partly reflective of, I think you've beaten the crowd down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, three heel wins to start a show is just, it's an interesting choice. Yeah. After replays, Chris Benoit comes out to his, uh, his old music, No Horseman theme tonight. Benoit comes out with woman to a good pop. Out to booze is Jeff Jarrett. 
a crowd shot features a guy with long sideburns, and Dusty interrupts something Shivani was saying to say, that looks like a homeless from Long Beach. <laughs> Did he call it a homeless? He said a homeless. Oh. Not a homeless guy, just a homeless. <laughs> wow. And Tony completely no-sells it, just pretends it did not happen. <laughs> it's probably the right move. Uh, this match is no disqualification. Uh, the crowd is very weird for it because it's kind of a weird match in terms of like alignment. Yeah. Benoit is a tweener. Because people like his wrestling, but don't like his rule breaking, uh, especially women, woman's interference, uh, and people don't like woman. She's more clearly positioned as a heel. Yeah. So like Benoit has always kind of been in this weird spot, whereas the Horsemen, since uh, pretty much since they joined up again at Great American Bash, they've been like this weird thing where they are a heel group, but Ric Flair is a babyface. Uh huh. Arn Anderson is usually a babyface. Right. Chris Benoit is still usually a heel. Uh-huh. And Mongo was kind of all over the place, but now is more usually a heel. Yeah. The, so, like, even the group is not consistent. Right. And then, and, and especially since the group is feuding within itself. Yeah. You know, it's just like, what? so do we cheer for part of them and not some of them? Right. And what happens when they come out together? Which, to be fair, they almost never come out together. And then I think Jarrett is a little more certainly a heel, but he never turned heel. He came in as a babyface, mm-hmm. and he just slowly started acting like more of a dickhead. Yeah. But to my recollection, he has never outright cheated. He's never, like, done something super dastardly. He just acts like a a prick like he's just like a guy you would not want to hang out with but to even confuse his alignment even a little further this is in nashville where the Jarrett name is like wrestling royalty yeah so both of these (laughs) guys have the murkiest of characters right now right uh and they are in a place that makes it naturally more murky Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just a very, very weird match to not, set up. And not only that, but there has been like really no buildup between these two facing each other in particular. Right. Other than I, I feel like it was just mentioned on a Nitro. It was mentioned on last week because uh, Benoit lost the finals for the U.S. title, or, or he lost the quarterfinals. So now that he didn't have a match on Starcade, they just last minute on Nitro were like, okay, since he's not going to be in the U.S. title tournament, we just got word that he's going to face Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. That's all that, that's the only setup we got. Right. Uh, I don't really give a shit about this match, so I'm skipping all the way to the end. Okay. Uh, it's not, it's not very good. Uh, there is a moment where Benoit has Jarrett on the mat with a sleeper, and Benoit keep using the ropes for leverage, but then getting his feet down, and Mark Curtis would look. Uh, Mark Curtis, the, the thing I liked was Mark Curtis looked real funny, like looking around to figure out why that rope could possibly be moving. (laughs) He'll just look back and the rope's like bouncing all over, but Benoit's got his feet down already. And Mark Curtis is just like, well, damned if I can figure out what that (laughs) rope's doing. Was there an earthquake? (laughs) Uh, At one point, Jarrett tries an inside cradle. And the second he starts the move, Dusty yells, he got him. Like it's the finisher in the main event. (laughs) He's so excited. (laughs) Anyway, about seven minutes into the match, Arn Anderson walks down to the ring, frostily passes Benoit and Woman, and stands in Jarrett's corner. The announcers point out that Flair endorsed... <laughs> the announcers point out that Flair endorsed Jarrett, and Arn has always followed Flair's orders. That is, that's a good point. 
He's always done what he's told, says Dusty. And I really like Dusty pointing that out because he had that fantastic 1994 promo, the one where he keeps calling Arn a walk behind her. Ooh. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? He's, he's, Dustin has been feuding with Arn because Arn was mentoring him and then Arn turned on him. Yeah. And Dusty cuts this promo on Arn uh, where he's like, he's a walk behind her. And when you're a walk behind her, the view never changes. The view <laughs> never changes, baby. Uh. It's just, it's such a good promo. Anyway. Now, now I'm just being reminded, it's like, yeah, he always does what Flair did, like, tells him to do, except when they had their feud last year with each other. Well, but if you remember, they were really in cahoots. The feud was a fake. Oh, it was all against Yeah, Sting. that was, it was, it was one of the classic Sting <laughs> trust Ric Flair, and Ric Flair was fucking him the whole time. And, <laughs> in which they had, like, a legitimate, like, all-out match against each other, fall yep. brawl, yep. in which Sting was not around. Yes. It was all <laughs> which, part of the game, baby. which Pillman cost Flair. <laughs> yep. That's that, right. <laughs> that, that just, that particular match has always stood out to me as, like, a really, it's a great match because it's, like, these two guys have always been partners. Yeah. They just had, like, the one match right. against each other. Right. Um, <laughs> but, Stupid sting. Stupid sting. <laughs> Just because they had a 10-minute match against each other, you thought they weren't planning something. <laughs> right. You dumb idiot. Oh, stupidest. <laughs> and he, Benoit and Jarrett brawl on the outside, and Hugh Morris and Conan try to kidnap woman, but she kicks Conan in the balls. <laughs> Square in the nuts. Arn cheers on Jarrett, but when Jarrett rolls out of the ring... uh. Arn cheers on Jarrett, but when Jarrett rolls Benoit into the ring, Arn surprises Jeffrey with a DDT on the floor. This is I mean, we're not at the finish yet. This is one of the most overbooked <laughs> matches. The camera then completely misses Kevin Sullivan, who has run into the ring <laughs> and broken a wooden chair over Benoit's head. We we don't see that at all. Right. So now, so on the outside, you've got Jarrett, who's knocked out from a DDT by Arn. Uh -huh. Inside the ring, you have Benoit, who's been knocked out by a chair by Sullivan. Mm -hmm. Arn didn't see the chair thing, so he throws Jarrett into the ring. Jarrett's arm flops on top of Benoit. <laughs> the ref counts one, two, three. Jeff Jarrett has won the match because Arn Anderson wasn't quite paying enough attention to where he uh -huh. was throwing Jarrett's body. That, that, that was... Pro wrestling, the sitcom. It was it was a little nutty. It was, I mean, it's appropriate that Dusty Rhodes is out there because that was the dustiest fucking finish <laughs> you could possibly want. And like, what on earth did this match do? Uh, I it just it just it's just the Horsemen have problems. It's just yeah. more of that. That's yeah. All. But it doesn't even yeah. advance that. It just restates it. Like we don't get we don't. No one gets anything from this match. Woman gets in the ring and yells at Arn, and Arn tells her that this is her fault, which it most definitely <laughs> is not. Her shocked expression is fantastic. Woman is such a bad promo, but yeah. her facial expressions are always amazing. Yes, absolutely. Arn leaves, and Woman tends to Benoit. Gene, whose microphone is going in and out, tries to get a word with Arn, who walks right past him. Then Jarrett also refuses to talk to him. Woman and Benoit walk down the aisle and blow Gene off, too, and there's trouble in Horseland. Uh, he's just like, hey, does anyone want to explain what happened in that match? And everyone's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I am not touching that. Now, there are two people who are very happy to talk to Gene, and they are, of course, Steve and Deborah McMichael. Oh, here we go. 
All right, Mean Gene is trying to get an interview right now. Yeah. Gene? Wait a minute. Non-committal in saying anything about what's going on that has broken this group apart. I mean, there's dissension. You see Kevin Sullivan out here, Jeff Jarrett. If you were in there, you took a tremendous blow. Jeff. Well, ain't nobody wants to talk. Here's a guy that was up for perhaps replacing Nature Boy Ric Flair. I'm certain I can get something here. I don't think we can talk about it anymore. I mean, Arn Anderson out here, he's not saying anything. Chris Benoit not saying anything. The four horsemen are in total shambles in this country. You want to talk to the horsemen, baby? Well, here's some horsemen. What do you got to say? What about Benoit, Arn Anderson coming in? I mean, things are very unstable right now. I think this group could go up in smoke. Maybe here, listen, baby, I'm here to tell you how it is, which means if I tell you a mosquito can pull a plow, hook him up! Listen, baby, I've been a winner all my life. Baby. I know about that. Do you understand that? And in a little town called Chicago, if you didn't measure up to my standards, you got your butt run out of town with a bus ticket and an apple in your hand. Now, Chris Benoit, baby, that woman's got you weak in the knees and addled in the brain. What's wrong with you? Jumbo J got served up to you on a silver platter like a dead man and you can't beat him. I don't know what else to say. I know what to say. Material. Now those other, those two other things, you know, like Chris and Nancy, I don't think so. That girl has been rode hard and put up wet. Please, if we are on the air, you can't. Oh yeah. Well, you know, enough about those losers. Let's talk about a winner like myself. I mean, I know all you guys out there really wanted me under your Christmas tree, but you know what? It's not gonna happen because I only have eyes for my Stevie. Hey, 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 hey. That's right, so you're gonna have to settle with your plump little wives and your boring lives because I'm definitely too much woman for you guys to handle. Happy New Year. Come on, we're through talking Not right at all. All I can tell you, Tony, Dusty, Bobby, gentlemen out there, there is definite trouble as far as the four horsemen concerned woman and Chris Benoit may be at the root of it. Let's go back to you. All right, Gene, thanks a lot. I think we need to take a look. One more Mongo says that he will tell Gene how it is. Mongo says that if he says a mosquito can pull a plow, Gene better hook him up. Okay, I'm with you so far. Mongo says that he's been a winner his whole life, and anyone who didn't meet his standards got run out of town. Uh, okay. he, I think he's like, if I was on a team and some guy didn't cut the mustard, I got him cut. Yes. Is yeah. basically no, the I, I caught okay, on. Okay. I just, I'm like, it's just like sustained, but you better be going somewhere <laughs> with this. 
He accuses Benoit of being so weak in the knees over woman that he couldn't beat Jarrett, despite having Jeff serve to him on a silver platter. Um, I feel like he didn't really watch the match. He's, yeah, he's just ignoring the whole chair thing. And the fact that he could have been there helping his horseman buddy out. The, the thing I was going to say about Mongo is that I could very much believe that WCW is like, we want you to be a good guy in the yeah. horseman, but <laughs> like when he does promos, he's like, I just, I just heal is what I want to do. Like, I feel like he could anytime be just going into business for himself or just doing whatever promo he feels like doing. <laughs> I, I think giving him direction is like, is probably a mixed bag. The mic is in and out while Deborah talks, but she declares Jarrett a winner and definite horseman material, unlike Chris and Nancy. She declares Nancy has too often been rode hard and put up wet. <laughs> what? This is a horse riding term, referring to a horse that has not been allowed to cool down between working up a sweat and being stabled, which can actually be really bad for horses. It's how you get a what's known as a blown horse where they just can't really run and work anymore. Is that like uh, not stretching after your workout, basically? Yeah, but worse, I think. Okay. Uh, but could could you say that that phrase again? Rode hard and put up wet. <laughs> I've, I think I've you like, also... this is a family show, okay? Yeah. yeah, rode hard and put away wet is another way of saying it, but for whatever reason, more commonly, they say put up wet. <laughs> That's... Uh, the double entendre is not lost on Gene Okerlund. <laughs> I would assume who not. Who covers the mic as if she's just said, like, the C word or something. <laughs> Jeez, what what world is that from? <laughs> I mean, it's horse riding. It's definitely this kind of thing Deborah McMichael from Texas knows what, you know. No, that's fair, but it's just like, warn us before you say things like that. <laughs> Deborah says she knows that all the guys wanted her under their Christmas trees, but she only likes Mongo, so the guys in the crowd will have to settle for their poor lives and their plump wives mm. because she's too much woman for them. Happy New Year! <laughs> Weird transition at the end there. (laughs) Uh, For whatever reason, all this insulting, Gene finds her charming and delightful. (laughs) He laughs as if she has just said the most, like, witty, cool thing he's ever heard. (laughs) Replays allow us to finally see the chair shot as the announcers bemoan what has happened to the horsemen. Really? What has? We then get a slightly longer version of the trippy sting video package that we saw on Nitro a few weeks ago. Okay. I still like it. After the NWO, after that, the NWO music plays, and out comes the WCW Tag Team Champion Outsiders, along with Six. During their entrance, an older lady with big glasses and a sweater with a flower design on her sweater holds up a homemade NWO sign. Hmm. This is the coolest uh, gang in wrestling. They've yeah. got, like, your Aunt Carol. She's <laughs> out there just so excited. Oh, man. Suddenly I, I like big sexy. Suddenly they're not so cool anymore. <laughs> It's like, uh, and not to make fun of these women, because they're fans, they have every right to, to enjoy wrestling however they like, but have you ever seen the picture of Kevin Nash with uh, the Kevin Nash fan club, and it is all your aunt Marine? No, like, it's think, it's yeah. just a group of, like, middle-aged women, older white women, and Kevin Nash. Uh, and it's actually a very sweet, because I one time saw somebody tweeting about it and making fun of it, and Kevin Nash was like... They were fucking all really cool and really nice and like, fuck you. And I was like, yeah, God damn, Kevin Nash is so cool sometimes. <laughs> right. Sometimes he's such a big dick, but sometimes he just says like something where you're like, wow, that is such a really good attitude to have about something. And you're right. We're the assholes. <laughs> right. 
I, w- I just feel I feel like Kevin Nash is nice to everyone but other wrestlers. Sure. <laughs> uh, I next- know, also, every time I think about him, I just think about those before and after his knee replacement. Oh, God. Yeah. And just seeing like how his hips were basically out of alignment because his knees were so fucked. Yeah. Like, his whole bottom half could be like replaced. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, another fun Kevin Nash. This is just a random thing that I remember. Just thinking of how awesome Kevin Nash is. There's a shoot interview where it must have been the only way he would agree to do it. Uh, they're doing the shoot interview, and like the whole time he's eating a big plate of spaghetti, and he's just like <laughs> talking with a mouthful. It's just like, yeah, all right, I'll give you like you're gonna give me, you know, whatever they get for those like seven thousand bucks, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna eat my goddamn lunch, and you're just gonna deal with it because <laughs> right. I want my spaghetti, right. <laughs> Listen, you're invading on my spaghetti time. (laughs) Next come the challengers, the faces of fear, along with their manager, Jimmy Hart. They have on cool looking vests with ropes and furs on them. They look like a kind of a post-apocalyptic cannibal gang. Oh, no, I said cannibal. I'm like, what what did you do? I'm not going to cut that out. I'm going to leave my hypocrisy. (laughs) But my point was post post post-apocalyptic. Yes. And often gangs in post-apocalyptic times are cannibals. They are always cannibals. And they have like ropes and you know they're they're yeah. they're looking like the tough guys in the post-apocalyptic world yeah it's definitely a road warrior okay look. i'm not racist dave okay <laughs> look they're only what 30 <laughs> years removed from cannibals and the tongue oh, or whatever it is they say uh nick patrick sneers and holds up the tag belts one upside down which helps him look like the goober that he is and one of them is missing like the like the little secondary panel on it too yeah just those belts are like falling apart yeah. on national television. The tag belts suck. Because I know those belts are not super expensive. Why on earth don't they replace? Just have them make the same ones if you're all worked up about the design. It's just having your champions come out with like just garbage belts. Yeah. Make them look like garbage champions. Now, this is a match we've seen before. The Outsiders versus the Faces of Fear. It's not one important for storyline or anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm skipping around with just you know a light dusting of notes sure uh i remember reading in the observer shortly after the outsiders debuted uh that they were working house shows with the nasty boys and that the nasty boys got pissed because the outsiders were essentially working as the baby faces Uh which the nasty boys on paper were supposed to be uh this is an exact example of what they must have been pissed about uh except for the faces of fear don't care Right. But, like, the whole match is Scott Hall getting being the baby face in peril. Yeah. And then getting the hot tag to Kevin Nash. Not what you normally see your heels do. <laughs> right. But, like, the crowd wants to cheer the outsiders. Yeah. Uh, it's, again, it's sort of like the horsemen. The NWO are heels, except the Hall and Nash are so cool that even though they are heels, they'll cheat and do whatever they want. Yeah. Uh, they're just so goddamn cool that people want to cheer them. Yeah. And they probably don't see the point, like, why why work against the current the whole time right. every match? Because that would be every match. Like, no matter what, there's it, there's not, like, a it's not a regional thing. Like, every fan, yep. everywhere they go, they'll cheer for the outsiders. Now, the phases of fear do get some cheers when they're on offense, so it's not like the crowd is against them necessarily. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's definitely just more in favor of the, the outsiders here. Uh, Nash, of course, tries a double noggin knocker, which, of course, fails because right, uh, Pacific right, Islanders. Because they're cannibals. <laughs> they they love having their heads hit into each other. <laughs> right. They love it. That's what they'd be spending their time doing. 
after some like there's a one of the you know many times where all four men get in the ring and kind of battle yeah uh the barbarian tries to throw a pin but he's not the legal man uh mm-hmm. he just came in during the fight there was no tag Nick Patrick tells him this. He's like, you're not the legal man. Get out of the ring. Yeah. Shivani agrees with it, uh-huh. but Jimmy Hart is, like, furious on it. Right. Uh, so Barbarian gives up on the pin attempt, but it's not clear that he understands why. Nick Patrick's just like, no, you can't pin him. You're not the legal man. Yeah. So Barbarian gets off him, stops pinning him, but he doesn't leave the ring. He just keeps <laughs> right. wrestling. Right. Uh, and that's going to be important because by the end of this match, he's still not the legal man, and it figures into the ending. <laughs> But no one gives a shit. It's not like the plan. It's not like this is how the faces of here get their rematch. Just right. no one cares. Yes. Nobody cares. <laughs> uh, Six gets a megaphone, runs off Jimmy Hart. Eventually a hot tag uh, to Nash, who hits a big boot and tries for the pin. But Meng interrupts with the mother of all elbow drops. Hall comes in and he and Meng wind up fighting on the outside. Nash ducks a barbarian big boot and hits the jackknife powerbomb for the win. Uh, as I mentioned, Barbarian's still not the legal man, but that was five minutes ago. Nick Patrick certainly can't be expected to remember. Yeah. Uh, Tony Schiavone, who knew and said on commentary that Barbarian wasn't the legal man before, mm-hmm. by the finish, f- four minutes later, has completely forgot about it. He, yeah. Or he remembers and he's smart enough to be like, well, I guess I shouldn't call attention to it. So it's it's just like a lack of attention to detail, Dave. <laughs> right. Uh, it wasn't a very good match. No, that's wasn't. why I skipped it uh, or skipped talking about it a lot. I would have, and honestly, I would have expected more because I love the faces of fear, uh, and I love big guys throwing each other around. And that's always one of my favorite tag style I, matches. I was kind of hoping for the the um, backdrop into the power bomb. Yeah, like they could have done that to Scott Hall and looked really awesome doing it, and they didn't do that. So I was like, okay, I didn't get what I want. <laughs> yeah, I think Nash is too broken and too tall to be thrown around in the way that i want like he's not a scott or rick steiner type and he's just he's awkward he's just yeah. an awkward guy yeah, in the that's ring true. uh so yeah this just this wasn't good the outsiders celebrate with their belt to the approval of the crowd and we then go to the back where ted dibiase stands holding the wcw heavyweight championship belt flanked by vincent miss elizabeth and an nwo banner hung on the wall you know piper the time for talking is over you know there's an old saying you better be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. Well, you asked for it, brother. You come strolling back in here saying, hey, I'm as big an icon as Hollywood Hulk Hogan. I'm as big a star as Hollywood Hogan. I want him all to myself in the middle of the ring. Well, Piper, you got what you want, but you're going to regret it. Tell me. Well, you know, trillionaire Ted, I already called the Hacienda man. Venice Beach, California, the ticker tape parade is going down right now because... They're on, you know, that Pacific time. I told him I already won, man. I told him the victory was in the bag. I pinned him in the middle of the ring, and all six of his kids were crying in their cold Campbell soup. But, you know, I begged and begged and begged when I came to Nashville. Tell me it ain't so. Tell me it's not really happening. Tell me that the man that wears the crinkled skirt 
didn't climb on the plane, didn't already fly back to mother's disaster in the Portland Pacific area, and he's not running for his life. And up until just a moment ago, I thought I was going to have to go out into the ring with thousands of thousands of Hollywood Hogan fans wearing my shirt and tell them the real truth, that Rowdy Roddy Piper ran for his life. I'm the only icon. The belt stays with the NWO, and he's scared to death. But I saw one of his snotty-nosed kids running around trying to bum a quarter to buy a Coke. And I know that Rowdy Roddy Piper, no matter how much of a liar, no matter how much of a cheater, and no matter how much of a woman he really is underneath that skirt, it's the nature of the beast. You don't leave your kids behind. So all I gotta say, dudes, Hollywood style. We're going out to have fun because I ain't heard nobody say that it's Rowdy Roddy Piper today. Vince, have you heard anybody say that? Hey, How about it, Vince? I know you haven't. How about you, truly, Nerd no, Ted? Not a word. It ain't Rowdy Roddy Piper Day. So let me tell you something, sucker. Today <laughs> is Hollywood Day. To prove a point, to put the final period on my legacy, to show everybody the people, the producers, everybody in the wrestling business that I made this business, I'll make it tomorrow. And if it wasn't for me, the wrestling business wouldn't be on the map. And I'm not acting with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Sloan, or any of those chumps. We're doing it the Hollywood way. Piper, what you gonna do? <laughs> DiBiase tells Piper that he should have been careful what he wished for, and then Hollywood Hogan trots in. Hogan claims that since the West Coast is on Pacific time, he told them that he already won, and they're throwing him a ticker tape parade right this very second. <laughs> Why now? <laughs> Hogan can't believe that Piper even bothered to show up for this one. He didn't believe that Piper would possibly come to fight, but he saw one of Piper's snot-nosed kids running around backstage trying to bum change to buy a Coke. A and quarter. <laughs> a quarter for a Coke. Remember when you could get a Coke for a quarter? He calls Piper a liar, a cheater, and a woman, but Piper wouldn't leave his kids behind, so Hulk knows that he is in the building. What? Uh, also, Piper cut a promo from the building earlier, <laughs> right. so you didn't have to see his kid asking for a quarter. It's very believable that Hogan does not watch the show when he's not on. That's true. Hogan declares that it is Hollywood Day, and he's going to prove to everyone that he made this business. Hogan delivers some of the fakest maniacal laughter I have ever heard. Yeah. And then we go back to the arena for Diamond Dallas Page's entrance. Not only that, but it was like um, he did fake laughter because there was like a moment where he's like, he just couldn't think of what to say next. Yeah. So he just kind of like threw that in there like, ah, <laughs> that's the end of the promo. <laughs> uh, the fake music for Paige's entrance is what I think it's usually on the pay-per-views because they did these at a different time than they did the nitros. Mm -hmm. um, so for whatever reason on the on the pay-per-views, when they play the fake DDP music, they just play it over the commentary. So there's like a solid oh. minute of silence when yeah. he comes to the ring. Uh, and then out next comes Eddie Guerrero, and this match is the finals of the U.S. title tournament. 
Eddie's path to the finals saw him beat Conan and Chris Benoit, whereas DDP beat Jeff Jarrett and then enjoyed a second round bye thanks to Luger and Arn going to a double countout in the first round. That was so dumb. Of course, the belt was vacated way back when champion Ric Flair had to have shoulder surgery, although the physical belt is in possession of the giant. Yes. Here to call all the action is this podcast answer to Dr. James Andrews. I guess I had that in there because of the Ric Flair thing. <laughs> now that I say it out loud, I'm like, we didn't. There's not enough establishment to get that joke. Uh, it's Dave Amentor. <laughs> all right. That's the, he's the guy. Yeah, when you, when you said that, I was like, was someone else showing up? <laughs> do we have a doctor showing up to do this play-by-play? Yeah, yeah. Our next you guest told is, me to do? <laughs> our next guest is my doctor. <laughs> right. You, uh, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. He's a thoracic surgeon from St. Paul, Minnesota. <laughs> he doesn't like wrestling. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was about to say, announcer's doing a really great job of ignoring these guys' intro while they're talking about Hollywood Hogan's promo. Really hyping us up for this championship match. We'll definitely have a new champion. They don't even care. <laughs> um, I also said it's pretty dumb. They're letting this angle continue where the NWO still have the title belt because it's going to be really anticlimactic when someone wins the championship and they have no belt. Right. Um, so, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out towards the end. So we have a whole lot of collar and elbow tie-ups and arm drags to start off this match, but DDP takes it up a notch. When he gets Guerrero in the corner and chops him, maybe not hard, but certainly loudly. Eddie then uh, returns the favor in the opposite corner, and the two exchange like the little like wiggly finger thing that DDP likes to yep, do. Yep. So they're they're uh, really getting into each other's heads a little bit. The fight spills out of the ring where DDP gains upper hand, but a return to the ring is thwarted by an Eddie Guerrero Hurricanrana. Back in the ring again. Eddie grounds Paige with a hammerlock. Uh, Eddie dumps Paige out of the ring, then hits him with a flying cross body block. In the ring, uh, Eddie tries a 10 punch in the corner, but DDP drops him on the top turnbuckle with a stun gun. He follows it up with a second one on the top rope, then a pile driver. The next few minutes are all Diamond Dallas Paige, wearing his opponent down but unable to put him away. We get a couple of those uh, abdominal stretch moments where DDP is grabbing the ropes for leverage. Boy, in the 90s, heels love this this spot. Yeah. Because it's like, we can milk so much time by doing this. Eddie counters with an abdominal stretch of his own, but Paige escapes and nails him with a discus clothesline. DDP whips Eddie into the corner and hits a shoulder tackle to the gut, but when he tries the same move in the opposite corner, Eddie moves as Paige hits the ring post. This begins a rally by Guerrero, who tries on several occasions to get the win, but cannot secure the three count. Eddie goes to the top for a frog splash as the fans are booing at this point. Yeah. There is definitely a point where a continu- like some of the fans are on DDP side. Yes. Which is just like, I, I don't know, I guess. I mean, DDP does have the hottest finish in wrestling He's at that been point. Getting, and it's been getting him over with the crowd more and more. Yeah. But like, and I know like Eddie is the kind of foreign wrestler but he also has like a fan base in wcw yes. at this point it is surprising that they would i'm not surprised anyone would ch- cheer page i am surprised that people are booing yeah him. that's kind of what i was feeling like that they're because he's going for the frog splash they know it's his finisher right. and they're not happy about it which is like come on yeah come on come on come man on. <laughs> uh so end result ddp moves out of the way of the frog splash 
We get more back and forth action with both men getting close pinfall attempts, including Eddie countering the diamond cutter attempt into a backslide. Uh, both men knock noggins, which sends Eddie Guerrero to the outside and DDP to Matt. Conveniently, this is when Six and the Outsiders, who were on like half of the show so far, <laughs> decide to make their entrance. Uh, while the referee is just taking a look at Eddie Guerrero, Skull Hill hits the ring and nails Diamond Dallas Page with the Outsider's uh, Edge. What? You gotta love like these big impact moves that the referee's just like, I have no <laughs> idea what's happening behind me. Yeah. Supposedly Eddie did not see any of this. Yep. He goes to the top rope, hits the frog splash, and gets a pinfall victory to win the tournament and the title, which is at ringside, but might be the cruiserweight title. It doesn't look exactly oh, right. Oh weird, I didn't notice that. Um, but after the match, uh, the outsiders were like, here, you win the championship. Now we're going to beat the shit out of you. Yep. And Eddie like gets a valiant effort trying to beat them off. Um, <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> but eventually they, they overcome him and the outsiders kind of hold Eddie on the ropes yeah. for six to beat on. And we're, I'm starting to get the indication that maybe there's going to be a feud here with six. And Eddie Guerrero, sure. which would be pretty awesome. That would be, yes. Uh, I really did not like that finish. Uh, the yeah. tournament had a bunch of bullshit finishes. Yeah. And then the championship, you know, the finals had a bullshit finish. It does nothing for Eddie to win relying on cheating. He just looks yeah. kind of dumb, even though he's he's the babyface. He didn't see it, but it just makes him look kind of stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially since... He immediately goes and hits a frog splash. Right. It makes me feel like that he did see something. <laughs> sure. It, it's kind. I don't. I don't know. It just. It's unfortunate that Eddie Guerrero, because Eddie Guerrero winning the United States Ch- Championship in 1996, yeah, should be a big deal. He's yeah, winning a major championship. Yeah. And it's all just marred by not only this thing with DDP betraying DDP when they kind of want him on in the NWO. Yeah. And then him just getting beaten down anyway. Yeah. And then potentially just facing six, you know? Yeah. Which I think as a matchup will be great, but I don't see six as like a really legitimate cruiser, uh, United States championship challenger at this point, since he's like wrestled like one or two matches. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's like, he's a very lower rung NWO member. Sure. My highlight of the match was that uh, Bobby Heenan just took a piss for the first half of it? Yeah, he he does like uh, I think Dusty says that he has like some technical thing he's working. He on. says Dusty says he's working on his utilities, <laughs> which uh, either means that he's in the bathroom, uh-huh. he's having problems with his microphone, or he's mixing another gin and tonic. <laughs> right. But I'm pretty I'm pretty positive that he took a piss. Yeah. Uh, which I don't remember it ever. I'm sure that's happened before on shows. Mm-hmm. It's never been so obvious that but, like uh, the one of the announcers went and took a piss. It's very funny to me. <laughs> but I I feel like Tony mentions like he brings up like why haven't we heard from Bobby? Yeah, and then I and yeah, I guess working in his utilities. Maybe it was something technical. Yeah. It's it's just very. Uh, it's very funny to me. I like to imagine that he's peeing, but you're right. It could have been a mic issue. And I, then when he eventually talks again, they don't say like he's back or anything like that. He just yeah. starts talking in and, and no one ever mentions it. Um, I like to think that, that Tony was noticed that Bobby Heenan was doing something. Yeah. And he's like, I want dusty to explain what's going on. <laughs> sure. Like he wants it. He wants to see what sort of like magic goes on when he tries to explain 
I feel like that he's doing something at the desk. Yeah. Maybe on maybe reaching for that flask under the desk or something <laughs> like that. But uh, we then do not see a promo for sold out. Uh, it's cut off the network because oh. uh, probably because it had a bleeped use of the F word. Like it was clear if you saw it that they were bleeping out the word fuck. Oh, but I think for that reason, it's cut off the network version entirely. That was just something I I was reading some reviews and different things people said about the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody had included that there was this bleep and there was like, wow, that was crazy. I don't think we've ever had a purposefully used F word even bleeped on a wrestling show before. <laughs> well, that that seems like very. That seems weird that WWE would cut that for like the suggestion that a swear word was used. Or maybe just maybe they just cut out the ads at that time. Well, no, because we normally see the ads. That's the only reason I can think of why it's not in there. Maybe it had licensed music in the background. That, that's kind of if I was thinking of like the whole thing. Had, well, if they had licensed music, they've always just changed it. But usually not from pay-per-views. Pay-per-views, because pay-per-views were, a lot of these were digitized uh, before the network because they used to have that WWE Classics on Demand. And a lot oh, of the true. WCW stuff was put up on there. And that's why there's stuff like the DDP music just cuts out the audio because they had like different standards for the work they were doing at the time. <laughs> right. uh, that's also why a lot of the older stuff, it's okay to say WWF and they can have that on the network. But if you watch a lot of the older pay-per-views, it's bleeped out because it was digitized during a time where they couldn't say WWF even yeah. on the old stuff. Yeah, you'll, and you'll still, still see the old stuff where it's like, the worst is the blurred out turnbuckles. Yes, I hate that. When when I if I put on a show and I see that right away, I'm just like next. <laughs> I will not watch. That is just it's so distracting. Yeah. And it seems like such a petty thing. It's 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 covering something that's petty. It makes such a like a glaring thing that you just can't help but notice. I agree. So uh, so basically what you're saying is right after this match there is a promo for sold out. Yeah, if you watch uh, if you if you watch that knowing this, yeah. you'll notice that there's a really abrupt edit where all of a sudden it just jumps ahead in the arena. Oh, okay. But you kind of have to know that you're looking for it to notice that it happens. So the, the, you would have like this beatdown of Eddie Guerrero by essentially six. Yeah. And then right away you see this pay-per-view thing. You're yes. like, oh, okay. I yeah. can see what they're doing here. After we come back, the NWO music is playing, and eventually out walks the giant, who looks like he is on day 120 of the wildest bender in human history. <laughs> he, always, he does. His eyes are so puffy, it looks like they threw water on him backstage to wake him up and then shoved him out the curtain. <laughs> right. He looks like hell. Yeah. It's crazy. I, ju- I just wanted a brief aside because we just mentioned sold out. Yeah. It is sold out. Ninety seven is one of the rare WCW pay per views that I literally have never seen. Oh, really? I've never seen it, and that's that will be very fun. Yeah, to get to that because I think from that point forward, I've seen every pay per view. Sure. Up until uh, maybe maybe not greed two thousand one. <laughs> sure. So, but that is one. It's just for some reason or another, I just never seen it. Yeah. I know there's especially an NWO uh, pageantry. Yes, yep. of sorts, which looks amazing. Oh, <laughs> so. yeah, it'll be a fun episode. I don't know; it'll oh, be yeah. fun to watch, but it'll, oh no, it'll I think be, our episode. It's going to be an awesome episode. <laughs> out next comes out uh, to the biggest pop of the evening, I'd say, at least to this point. Yes, but 
uh, maybe of the entire show, is Lex Luger, the mm-hmm. total package. And uh, I'm looking at my notes, and I don't have any transition to introduce you, which makes me wonder if you were doing this match or not. Did I have you do this match? Yes. Oh, thank God, because <laughs> my yes, notes are it. a big old blank. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, here to call all the action is our own uh, half package. <laughs> I'm not giving you total status. <laughs> right. Dave Amador. Half package sounds like I, like there was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> Something bad happened. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I'm very aware that I have to do the play-by-play Ooh, thank for this God. match. Okay. Um, which, which I did this morning, <laughs> by the way. Um, I, I mentioned that the giant coming to the ring uh, to the NW music looks very weird, especially since he doesn't wear any paraphernalia, nothing that says he's NWO. He, there's nothing about him that seems like he's an NWO member. Yeah. But the music's in there. And it just looks weird for his gimmick, like absolutely. But I it technically is so, and also he's so far. Wait, I mean, who outsiders? Yeah, I mean, he's the only NW member we've seen so far that has had no one with him. Yeah, which, that's true. Although, light spoiler alert: that plays into storyline. Yes, yes, it does. It just it's very like there's. If you took the music away, yeah. there's no indication he's Absolutely, NWO. yes. Um, so the match starts off with a collar and elbow tie-up as a test of strength, which is eventually won by Luger. Luger drives him to the corner where he unloads with right hands, but the giant fends him off and levels him with a clothesline and a massive elbow drop. Would you say that the giant beats him off? <laughs> I Not this time. <laughs> <laughs> he's too tired. He's too tired. Beat me off once. Shame on me. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, that sentence uh, basically describes like two full minutes of action. Yeah. Because Luger is like really rearing back for these punches. Yeah. The giant pushes him off. Luger takes his time to get up, walks across the ring. Yeah. And does it over like three times. It, you know, there's, um, it's like when Shawn Michaels always had the thing where, like, the, the big man will shove him off when he's trying to do the 10 punch. Yeah, yeah, And he yeah. rolls and he just leaps back on. Yep. And Luger is doing it at the slowest <laughs> pace possible. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. he's seen it before, and he's like, I'll do that, but I'm not capable of doing that. Yeah. Uh, the giant kicks him out of the ring and suplexes him back in and settles in on dominating the total package. My next note is that this match is slow and really uninteresting. So I'm not going to go into detail, <laughs> but spoiler alert, I do go into detail because <laughs> I just can't help it. Yeah. We just we get we get so used to doing like these the play by play that even when it's a pay-per-view and we kind of have like a little bit looser rules as far as how we do these, I still end up doing like play by play for terrible matches. Sure. Uh, the giant misses with a drop kick, which just shouldn't have that in there because this drop kick is pretty easy to see coming yeah <laughs> when a giant guy like him is getting up <laughs> you could get out of the way pretty quickly it's pretty it's always impressive how high he gets up for a drop kick yeah uh especially like i said since he seems like he's still drunk from last night <laughs> right well that's probably why he thinks a drop kick's a good idea <laughs> well, i could get it i could do it i could do it i could totally do it uh so he misses a dropkick, which gives Luger the opening to punch and clothesline a whole bunch. Luger eventually drops him with, of all things, a neckbreaker. Yeah. But, which, now that we're kind of playing off this idea that the Giants hung over, yeah. Luger 
kind of like he does like these emphatic like okay this one drops you and the giant's <laughs> still not going down yeah so eventually luger's like okay if i put him in the neck breaker he has to fall <laughs> because the right before that he does like the whole dusty roads like winding up the punch yeah and hits him and he still is just swaying and luger's like come on man <laughs> he couldn't have telegraphed that more um a pinfall attempt is kicked out emphatically by the giant who throws Luger on top of referee Mark Curtis, and this knocks him out. Yeah. So, fair enough. Of course, which referee do you suppose comes out next? If there's an NWO member in the ring, what referee is allowed to come out? There's plenty of referees, but of course, right. Nick Patrick comes out. Oh, of course. As Luger is getting the giant up for the torture rack, and Nick Patrick... This is like the weirdest thing is he is it's it's one of those moments where it's like you're you're watching a horror movie and like the the eventual victim does not see the killer behind him. Yeah. Because yeah, Nick yeah. Patrick is winding up waiting for him to pick him up. Yeah. And everyone else but Luger can see. Right. Him. Right. Right. I can't remember. Nick Patrick. Did, he did the same thing. At, was it Hog Wild? Um, where he does like the the elbow to the to the knee. It was, I think, a nitro match with the Outsiders. No, maybe it was Hogwild. It was, yeah, it was Hogwild. Yeah, because yep. I remember that I was like Nick Patrick before he dropped down and did like an elbow to his knee, whereas this time he just kind of kicks it. Yeah, he I, there's like even Nick Patrick's tired of doing the same thing, <laughs> <laughs> so he kicks it, and of course that makes uh, Luger drop the giant. Now Sting is coming to the ring as Luger tries to rack the giant again, which is broken up by six. By the way, at this point, the it's fucking pandemonium. Yeah, in the arena, and this I'm sitting, I'm just sitting there taking the notes, and I'm kind of like getting paying attention. To, I'm paying attention a bit more now, right? Because I'm like, oh wait, they're really into this. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I was surprised of like how much they're into this. Sting gets in the ring, and immediately he throws Patrick out. Yeah, and so the fans are just like fucking ape shit. Yeah, they over love this. It. Uh, Sting literally goes to each wrestler. He whispers sweet nothings into their ears. <laughs> yes. Then he leaves the bat in the middle of the ring and then leaves. Yep. His job's done. <laughs> Nick Patrick is gone, by the way. He just fucks off. Yep. He is like. He got thrown into a black hole that was <laughs> right. laying outside the ring. Yeah. Uh, so Mark Curtis is still laying in the ring. So I think we can kind of figure out we're going to. Yep. There's going to be shenanigans until Curtis wakes up. Uh, Luger gets to the bat. The giant. Um, steps on the bat, and then he gets. I I don't even remember what happens if he just punches him in the balls or. Uh yeah, I don't. I unlike uh, you watched it this morning. I watched this several weeks ago, and then a recording was delayed by my flu, which is why I'm still coughing so much. Okay. Either way, Luger gets the bat. He just assaults the giant with yes. it. Yes. And then, uh, covers him. And the, the second he covers him, Mark Curtis regains consciousness <laughs> yes. miraculously um, and get, gets the pinfall victory, which the fans are counting along with. Yeah. It's it's so wild how much the fans were into this match. They love they love Lex Luger. It's they definitely, love Lex Luger. It's definitely loving Lex Luger because, like, there was no hype for this match. Right. I, I, th- I think on Nitro we had, like, them confront each other, and the fans were, like, pretty into it. But it's just, like... I think Luger can do nothing wrong right now. Absolutely. Um, yeah, he he is he's the hottest baby face in WCW, I think, easily. And I think 
someone suggested I, someone might mention was this the first time an NWO member has lost? Yeah, Tony says that right after the match. This is the first loss for the NWO. Okay, which I don't feel like that was a factor into the fans getting all hyped up or anything like that. Sure, but it's well, just... yeah, it's they're ecstatic even though half of them are in NWO shirts. They're still going crazy, <laughs> right? Because it's the total package. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so the last few minutes were really exciting. Yeah. Just because the fans are so into crowds it. can make a match. It's not like the Absolutely. action was all that. And it, we we called the Jarrett Benoit one overbooked nonsense. Yeah, this also was overbooked nonsense. Yeah, but it was successful overbooked nonsense. Right. Yeah. I mean, I to me, I'm like this. Th- the thing with Sting does not make any sense. Sure. Because what happens if the giant got it and just like just waffled Luger with it and pinned him? I think he'd be okay with that. Uh, he's he's testing loyalties. He's yeah. Sting right now is a little scientist, and he's just <laughs> yes. making he's making little experiments and just seeing how everyone reacts yes. and, and letting it play out. That's essentially the character of Sting right now. He's a brooding, uh, dark, silent scientist of wrestling. Yeah, and not only that, but it's like it's it was like the birth of the NWO that made him go into exile. Yeah. And he clearly doesn't care about the NWO WCW thing. He's just kind of like picking his spots and just doing whatever. Uh, the crowd's ecstatic. As I mentioned, the giant is in the ring, completely shell shocked. Uh, I think as in addition to the first NWO loss, I think this is only the giant second singles loss. The first being to Hulk Hogan oh, uh, sure. with all the NWO interference back at hog wild. Yeah. Uh, the giant stands in the ring, staring towards the back. The announcers sell that the NWO did not do enough to help the giant win because if they truly supported him, uh, there'd be like a million more guys out there. It wouldn't be just six. Exactly. <laughs> like, you're sending... Of all the people that Luger would be concerned about coming out, Yeah, six is really low on the list. After replays, it's main event time, and Michael Buffer is out for the ring introductions. Yeah, they they moved on to the main event like really quickly. I mis- yeah, it must be a time thing where yeah. they you know they want to make sure they get everything they have planned. Especially because it's like ugh, Buffer has like a half hour worth of things <laughs> he needs to say. His in- his intros like get so elaborate. They're paying him whatever three hundred thousand dollars a year. I want to say it is. So you better use it. Like <laughs> right. <laughs> interestingly, uh, the champion Hollywood Hulk Hogan is out first. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the WCW Starcade 96 featured match of the evening. The battle between two living legends. A match being called the match of the decade. But an event of such magnitude, it may actually be the match of the century. Wrestling fans, are you ready? I am, and right we are, Nashville, Tennessee. Are you ready? For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. Ladies and gentlemen, Gonna be a good six packer right here, boys. Oh, oh. I'm gonna go for the whole case. I'm telling you. Whoa. 
coming to the ring at this time in the company of his NWO comrades. Well, there they are. A man who is known the world over. Hollywood! He weighs 275 pounds. Originally from Venice Beach, California, but he now lives in Hollywood, California. His face is recognized in every corner of the planet. His name is in every professional wrestling record book. And tonight, he finally meets the opponent he's always wanted to face. Ladies and gentlemen, here is a living legend of the ring, the reigning NWO, WCW Heavyweight Champion of the World, Hollywood, Hulk Hogan. This big time stuff, boys. Hogan comes to the ring flanked by Teddy DiBiase, Miss Elizabeth, and Vincent. He poses with some fans in their NWO for Life banner, then climbs up the apron for some air guitar on the heavyweight championship belt. Hmm. The NWO theme fades and Piper's music, The Green Hills of Tyrol, plays. <laughs> Dave, are you ready to learn about the Green Hills of Tyrol? Oh, God. Do I have any choice? Fuck no. <laughs> All right, I'm very enthusiastic about the this. The song man. goes back to 1829 when Italian opera composer, uh, when, oh, I didn't write his name, when uh, some Italian opera composer <laughs> debuted William Tell, a French language opera, op, a French language opera about a legendary Swiss hero of the 14th century who overthrew a tyrannical despot and inspired a revolution by the people. People. <laughs> Are you ready for this? All right, fuck off. <laughs> hey, now. This, of course, is the same opera that gave us the William Tell Overture, or as, as it is perhaps more popularly known in American culture, the theme to the Lone Ranger. Flash forward about 25 years to the Crimean War. <laughs> this is the best wrestling podcast on the planet, Dave. The combined forces of Western Europe, including British soldiers, are fighting the Russian Empire over who will exert influence in the crumbling Ottoman Empire. I, you wrote this when you had the flu, right? <laughs> British pipe major John McLeod heard a Sardinian military band play a chorus from William Tell's third act. He transcribed the song for bagpipes and called it the Green Hills of Tyrol, named for a corner of Austria that saw fighting during the war. In 1961, Scottish singer Andy Stewart, perhaps most famous for his hit, Donald... <laughs> perhaps most famous for his hit, Donald... Where's your trousers? <laughs> I've just come down from the Isle of Skye. I'm nowhere the big and the muffle shy. And the lassies shout when I go by. Donald, where's your trousers? Let the wind blow high, let the wind blow low. Through the streets and my kintail go. All the lassies say, hello. Donald, where's your trousers? 
God. About a Scotsman who wears a kilt rather than pants. What? The song Donald Wears Your Trousers <laughs> is about a Scotsman who chose to wear a kilt rather than pants. Oh, fitting. Uh, use the tune as the basis of his song, A Scottish Soldier, about a dying Scottish soldier who wishes to return to the highlands of Scotland to die instead of dying in the hills of remote Tyrol. <laughs> Without his trousers. Oh, there's uh, your little bit of French poetry and Crimean War history. <laughs> or French opera, I should say. All leading up to the match of the decade. Flash forward a hundred years to Stargate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looks great. Yeah, he's a bigger man. Is it in his heart, though? Is it really there to reach down to beat Roddy Piper? I know Piper has got it right. Well, Nashville's never heard this kind of music before. And now, making his entrance to the ring here at WCW Starcade. A man also known the world over. He weighs 220 pounds. He's a native of Glasgow, Scotland. But now, as a U.S. citizen, he makes his home in the great northwestern American city of Portland, Oregon. His accomplishments in professional wrestling, also known the world over, make him a living legend of the ring. Here is one of the most popular and charismatic heroes of the sport. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the one, the only, Rowdy. Roddy Piper! Here comes the fight, baby! And look at the fight! Roddy Piper comes to the ring looking deadly serious. As opposed to Hogan and his entourage, Piper walks the ring alone. A contrast I really liked because the whole time... He's been saying, I'm a man alone. I'm not yeah. part of any group. So it's great that Hogan comes out with a literal entourage and Piper's just a guy walking down to the ring. Yeah, because not only that, but he mentioned, he's said that he's specifically not NWO or WCW. Right. So, like, Flair is not with them or anything like that. It's just Piper. Piper gets a big pop from the crowd when Buffer says his name. And when the music fades, the crowd chants Roddy, and Tony smartly points out that even the people in the NWO shirts are standing and chanting Piper's name. Roddy looks to be in good shape for his age, although he's wearing his trunks conspicuously high, helping to yeah. hold that belly in a little bit. This is Piper's first match in nine months since WrestleMania 12, and only his fifth match in the last two and a half years. Oh, man. I was... The uh, Hollywood Backlot Brawl. Yeah, that sucks. I I watched a uh, a like an interview with Dustin Rhodes. Yeah, about it, and I I think it's called like Inside the Ropes is like a, a interview podcast sort of thing. Yeah, and the guy kind of like sarcastically says like Hollywood Backlot Brawl, take us through it, and he talks for like fifteen minutes. Oh wow! And it's like the story behind it is so incredible uh, yeah i mean it wasn't even the plan man it was supposed to be scott hall yeah or and and the fact that like like that he wanted uh dustin wanted piper to bust him up bust him hard oh god because yeah. vince didn't want blood uh-huh um and instead piper just kept punching him in the forehead until he broke his hand oh god and it like <laughs> it goes downhill yeah from there wow i'll check uh, that out that sounds yeah. fun 
Hogan dismisses his crew, uh, except for I think DiBiase stays around, but yes. Liz and Vincent leave. Randy Anderson is a ref for this one, so hopefully we'll get no Patrick-based shenanigans. Yeah. As the bell rings, Hogan immediately heads to the outside to stall and delay. He talks to DiBiase as Liz and Vincent head to the back. Hollywood finally enters the ring, removes his bandana, and flicks imaginary sweat at Piper. They lock up, and Hogan forces Piper into a corner, yells at Randy Anderson to watch Piper on the break because Hogan doesn't trust him. Then upon the break, Hogan slaps Piper. Mm-hmm. I fucking love it. Yeah. That's some basic shit, but it works. It's so good. The thing, the thing is that Hogan's been a heel for about six months now, yeah. but already he has like the classics for him. Yeah, he feels like a guy who's been waiting yeah. to be a heel for a long time. But like uh, him like powdering to the ringside immediately, yeah. that's like classic Hollywood Hogan. Sure, yeah. And, and like the sweat stuff. Mm-hmm. When he does like back rakes and things like that, there's a, he, like to his credit for being like an older veteran, he did make adjustments to his ring style. Yeah. Um, which is not not everyone would do that. I agree. Uh, they lock up and jostle around before Piper gets the better of Hulk with some right hands. Hogan powders most of the way up the entrance aisle. And rather than let Randy Anderson count Hogan out, Piper picks the diminutive Anderson up and sets him on the top turnbuckle of the far corner of the ring, patting his head after. Roddy beckons Hogan back to the ring. Now, it was a smart move of Piper to butter up Randy Anderson by putting him right where Anderson loves to be most, (laughs) on the ropes. He was like, well, I know where you want to be, you special (laughs) little guy. It was at that point where where I realized, like, I feel like WCW was like, you two just do whatever you want. Absolutely. Total freedom. Yeah. Just, uh, we, we know how it should end. Just do 15 minutes of whatever. Yep. Once Hogan returns to the ring, he gets control with a kick to the gut and a series of punches and kicks, along with whatever you would call a back rake when it's performed on the front of your opponent. <laughs> Weird. Torso rake, I guess? <laughs> a nipple rake? <laughs> Purple nurple? <laughs> Piper comes back in with a clothesline and an eye gouge and another clothesline. Hogan wants more powders for another conference with Trillionaire Ted. Once more in the ring, Roddy turns a lockup into a side headlock that he keeps on for a few minutes, with Hogan working to escape. He finally gets Piper with a shoulder to the gut and a stun gun sends Roddy to the floor. Outside, Hogan gouges the eye and breaks the back and then takes it back into the ring for back-and-forth punch-kick action until Piper drop-kicks Hogan to the outside again. Hogan goes up the aisle once more, but this time Piper cuts off the escape and whips him into the guardrail a few times on the way back to the ring. They wind up fighting near Dave Penzer, who has Piper's entrance gear, and Piper grabs the belt that he was wearing over his kilt and begins to whip Hogan with it. He scoop slams Hulk in the middle of the ring and tries to come off the ropes, but DiBiase grabs his foot. Piper goes outside to go after Ted, allowing Hollywood to sneak up from behind him and send him into the guardrail on the ring steps head first. The crowd chants for Roddy as Hogan chokes the Piper. Chokes the Piper. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds like the beat him off. <laughs> I gotta go choke the Piper. Um... By the way, both these guys sweating tremendously. Yes, they are old. <laughs> Hogan's punches eventually sent Piper over the guardrail, then back uh, towards the ring again. In the ring once more, Hogan now targets Piper's hip with some kicks before putting on an abdominal stretch, which gives the camera a real good shot at Piper's hip replacement scar. Yeah. 
Uh, like, I think that almost must have been the plan. Like, I'm going to hold him here and remind everyone about the scar. Yeah. Just good, good heel work by Hogan. But it's just like, his hip's replaced. This is the strongest bone he has in his body now. Things really start to break down here as Piper hip tosses Hogan to escape the abdominal stretch, <laughs> but he barely gets Hogan over for the throw. Yeah. Then having lost his own balance from the hip toss, Piper just falls down. Uh-huh. <laughs> Piper then ducks a punch and hits a double sledge to Hogan's face. Then he fails to notice that Hogan has gone to the corner. He assumes that Hogan has moved back towards the middle of the ring. Mm-hmm. So Piper runs to the ropes like he's going to clothesline Hogan. But, of course, Hogan's not there. Uh, DiBiase grabs Piper's ankle to prevent Piper from running forward into nothing. Yeah. Uh, Piper then sees where Hogan actually is. And for some reason, both old men just sort of fall down. They just fall down. No good reason. Uh, It'd be a few weeks ago because it was when I was doing my notes. But I put a gif of this on Twitter because oh. I was just like what is happening <laughs> it's it's very sad ladies and gentlemen this is the wall and we have now hit it yeah and uh as you mentioned I have here in my notes they're sweating buckets at this point yeah Piper punches Hogan and pulls his hair he's pulling his hair out yells Shivani and Brain says well that shouldn't take long yeah <laughs> the combatants get back on their feet for a brief moment until Piper tries an inside cradle for two the first pin attempt of the match Back to their feet, it's more punch kick for a bit as these dudes are wiped. Yeah. A vertical suplex by Piper is the biggest move of the match so far and gets a two count. They really, pro- they must have thought like, man, adrenaline's going to keep us just <laughs> logging along. And then it's like the eight minute mark, it's just like, oh, when is nap time? <laughs> Piper drops a knee, but Hogan dodges. Piper tells the crowd it's over. Time for the one, two, three. He goes for the atomic leg drop, but Piper rolls away. Piper hops up on one leg. Piper hops on one leg a bit and then kicks at Hogan until Hogan is on his knees begging for mercy. That the Hogan leg drop was another was one of those cases where it's like he comes off a certain ropes for his leg drop uh-huh. and he was on the wrong side, so he there was kind of like a little maneuvering around that mm. just looked kind of awkward until you realize, oh wait, that's the that's the one he hits off of all the time. The Giant comes down and gets in the ring, and Randy Anderson needs to check on Hogan because reasons, so he doesn't see the Giant lift Piper to chokeslam him. Suddenly, Randy Anderson, Hogan, and DiBiase are all attacking a newcomer. It's an idiot fan who has entered the <laughs> ring. That That's unfortunate because it's like it was already kind of coming apart as it was. Yeah. And now, like, a random fan is not helping things. The timing is terrible because... The giant has Piper up for a choke slam that he's not supposed to hit. Yeah. But now he has to just hold him aloft in the air for an extra 15 seconds. Right. The giant looks like an absolute idiot through no fault of his own uh, because Randy Anderson has to kick the shit out of this fan. Randy Anderson gets more licks in than anybody. Yeah. Well, it's just like it's such an old school mentality where it's like if a fan comes in, everyone, you everyone, everybody kicks. His no ass. matter what your allegiances are, you immediately beat the shit out of him. Yep. So it's like at the moment where Hogan is having someone cheat for him, Hogan and the ref are putting the boots to someone. Yeah. It, it looks like 
without under, if you don't if your person doesn't understand that whole mentality, yeah, it looks really bizarre. Yeah, it also completely ruins Randy Anderson's positioning. So he clearly sees the giant in there holding up Piper, right? Uh, which is just unfortunate. But there's it's, a, it's nobody's fault except for this fucking moron. Yeah, uh, who hit the ring? I. I tolerate a lot of shit because I'm like, you're the customers and, and hey, sometimes it's funny or whatever, but like it should never be done. Even if it's like, haha, I think this specific example is like silly or whatever. Like it's don't fuck. No one listening to this needs to hear this. I don't think anyone that's listening to our show is the type who's going to jump in the ring. But like, just goddamn, what an idiot. I just I'm always amazed that like one security, like every fan once they're grabbed by security, yeah. has this look on their face like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. What? What? Right. Like, they're, Or they're surprised like, oh, wait, I'm going to get arrested for this? Yeah. I'm also wrestling. Yeah, I'm just doing what they're doing. <laughs> they said it was okay. <laughs> the fan dealt with, Hogan goes back over to the giant, and Piper kicks Hogan to the ground. Roddy then bites the giant and shoves him out of the ring. Roddy yeah, yes. <laughs> The giant, the giant has to improvise, so he just goes flying <laughs> over the top. It's pretty, it's pretty outstanding. Roddy ducks a Hogan punch and then locks in a sleeper hold. Based on crowd reaction, I think a no one remembers that a sleeper hold was Piper's finisher. Yeah, and no one in 1996 is buying that it's going to finish a match. Right. No one like reacts at all that he has applied the finisher. Yeah. Uh, but eventually, Randy Anderson raises Hogan's arm once, twice three times and even anderson is shocked when it simply falls the third time Mm -hmm. rowdy roddy piper is victorious the bell rings and after a stunned moment the crowd does go nuts and the referee anderson is still on top of the ball game right there check his arms check his arms he's going out he is going out yes he is randy anderson's got up for one He's got it up for two! Here it comes! Bring the bell! Bring the bell! He put it in the safe! There's the man Hogan never beat! Beating Hogan! He's got it! That's unbelievable! Ready, Piper! Piper wins! Unbelievable, brother! Piper wins! Piper wins! Time out, baby! There's your winner! Rowdy, Rowdy Piper! He said, I'm not with the NWO! I'm not with WCW! It takes a minute because they just were not convinced that was the finish. Right. But when it sinks in, they go appropriately bonkers. There's Pyro. Piper poses with one foot on Hogan's chest. The Outsiders hit the ring, and Piper gets in a few shots before wisely bailing. Mm. So, like, none of that immediately undoing all the goodwill they did with the win like he gets a clean win over hogan he gets some licks on the outsiders and he looks smart like it's all yep. well done um randy anderson then raises the scotsman arm in the aisle and the outsiders can only scowl from the ring the giant is in the aisle but he does nothing as piper walks to the back with his hand raised high uh, before we get to, there's like a lot of post-match stuff. So let's talk about the match. I think before we continue on, uh, it was, I mean, I, f- I felt like it was going well until there was that moment where it seemed like they hit the wall. Yeah, absolutely. I think it comes down to this. This is like, uh, rather than go on and on about it, this is just all I'll say. It was 
bad wrestling mm-hmm. that had a really hot crowd that was so into the story that I didn't care about the bad wrestling. I enjoyed the experience of watching the match, even though, objectively speaking, the action, such as it was, was terrible. <laughs> yes. It was still really fun to watch. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I You on the same page? Yeah, well, I mean, it's also what you would expect from them, too. Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, I when when it comes to this match, I I just I'm always reminded of the story of how the outsiders convince Hogan to to job. Oh, please, uh, I don't know that story. Oh, well, I mean, there's not like a, a big long story about it, but they they were the outsiders are kind of credited for convincing him that yeah. it would be it would be good to do the job to Piper to kind of like got to lose once in a while to set up right. uh, yeah and and how like afterwards Hogan was really proud of himself <laughs> yeah for jobbing when it's like I have heard that 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 yes. Hogan was like giddy as a schoolgirl that he put someone over yeah yeah but the outsiders kind of get give themselves credit for convincing him to do it gotcha and it's sort of like of course, like him jobbing is like losing a non-title match when he's champion, right? <laughs> and then, uh, as we'll get to, a solid like five minutes of post-match that's all about him, right? <laughs> uh, but quite b- before that happens, uh, one of Piper's kids walks out along with his like little personal assistant who we've mentioned on the show because I think Scott Hall made fun of him once on the show. Oh, like the He's, weird, the weird little buff guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, the guy Scott Hall mentioned him on the show, or maybe it was Kevin Nash. But somebody's brought made fun of him on the show before. Uh, the giant very noticeably walks out by himself rather than joining his comrades all in the ring. He gets to the curtain, but. Hogan has now risen. Uh, he's he's woken up and he runs down the aisle to confront the giant. Mm-hmm. The giant and Hogan shout at each other with the outsiders trying to mediate, but Nash quickly gets angry with the giant. I was really surprised of how much like Kevin Nash is like the same size as the giant. Yeah, that's weird. I just I always assumed that the giant, the Big Show, was like way bigger than him, but sure. they're like. They look about the same, especially oh, yeah. back then when when the Big Show or the Giant was like a lot thinner. Right. They look almost the same size, and I was like, kind of. It was. I was my. I was having a hard time wrapping my head around that. Also, the fans like chanting for the Giant when yeah, these guys yeah. are arguing, and you and it's like realizing like they could have a big thing here if they decide that. Um, that the Giant's gonna leave the NWO if he's in a feud with Hogan. Yep. Because he's. He's like, I mean, we've talked about before, before he joined the NWO, it's like, he's like the guy that they should be having facing the NWO. Yes, absolutely. Because he's the one, he could face him by himself and be believable. Yep. Uh, The Giant is furious that he backs up the other members of the NWO, and yet they weren't there for him during his match with Lex. Hogan tells the Giant that Giant dropped the ball, which does not help to calm him down. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Hogan is not helping things. Giant heads to the back while Hogan and the Outsiders go to the ring. Hogan demands that Vince come down with his belt now, which is the first time that it's finally acknowledged what was sort of hinted at but never outright said. As we talked about at the top of the show, this was a non-title match. Mm -hmm. The crowd chants that Hogan sucks while Hogan insists to the camera that they are still the champions and thus still the winners. The NWO music plays and the belt is brought down by DiBiase. 
uh, as presumably Vincent is asleep inside a nearby Denny's by now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hogan spits on the camera and we linger on his disgusting saliva yeah. for way too long. Uh, so so uh, kind of summing it all up, I think Hogan did a good job by putting over Piper very strongly, very cleanly. Yeah. Uh, and Piper overcame cheating by the NWO. He beat Hogan completely on his own merits. But the show still ends with Hogan posing with his championship while his music plays. Yeah, and I and and like this thing with Hogan and the Giant is definitely like interesting, but it does over like come like the whole Piper winning. And also, uh, interestingly, and and we'll see how this plays out. But you could get the impression from watching this that like Piper won. That's all he needed to do. He had his moment with his son, and we might never see Piper again. Right. Like, you could easily, as an audience, be like, oh, I guess that kind of just resolves that chapter. That's that's all done. Right. Which is also kind of weird because, like, he's going against Hogan and the NWO, and he, it really does not affect the NWO that much. Yeah. Like, he, it's it, you feel more like Hogan was kind of embarrassed by losing. Right. Uh, so... We've the, we've we're a couple hours in. We've covered the Crimean War, right? Uh, so, yes. so why don't we sum it up? What were your thoughts on the whole show? Um, I mean, it was. I don't know. It's pretty up and down. I guess. I I, I mean. I feel like every match was kind of what you would expect out of it. Sure. Um. I mean, for something that's Star Arcade that's supposedly the WCW version of WrestleMania. Right. There wasn't anything that was like a big moment that you feel like is really going to carry on. Yeah. Future episodes or of Nitro or anything like that. Really just the Hogan Giant stuff. You're like, that's the big angle that I'm going to be watching now. Yeah. Because the, when Hogan was coming back to the ring after arguing with the Giant, he was talking to the camera. He kept saying that he dropped the ball. Right. And you're like... That's going to be like a key thing. You're going to hear that phrase a million times in the next uh, Nitro. Yeah. Like in the first five minutes, as I recall, having watched a little bit of it. Yeah. So I feel like it's it's just weird because like Piper and Hogan had like the quote unquote match of the decade. Yeah. And by the time the show ends, like minutes after the match ends, it the focus is this giant Hogan yeah. deal. Um. So it's just for how much it was hyped. The result was really underplayed. It kind of gets to a thing that I've heard said about Hogan a lot that uh, anytime he was presented with creative, he would then be like, all right, what's next? Like he always wanted to know what's after that. Yeah. He's not somebody uh, it would never fly in like today's WWE where they just seem to be working at the seat of their pants like minute to minute. Sure. Like Hogan was a guy who always wanted to know what the next thing was. So you could start working on it now Mm -hmm. because the bigger deal it is, the more money he's going to make. He's not stupid, you know, and it's, he's not, and I don't mean this is insult even, but he's not an artist primarily. He's a businessman. Right. And he's, he knows that feuds are how he makes money Mm -hmm. and a feud with a good opponent. He'll make more money. And so you need to build them up and have a reason why it's all happening. And so, yeah, the Piper stuff's done. What's next? Let's get started on that shit now. Yeah. You know? And th- and this would be like the few that I, from the moment that Hogan turned heel, was the few that I was looking for. Yeah. Was him against the Giant. The Giant being the WCW representative. The Giant being, like I said, the one guy that could pretty much face NWO himself if he yeah. needed to. Um, so I... You know, not really talking about how what what lies in the future, but 
even though it's disappointing the way that they are underplaying this Piper victory, we're getting to a, a feud that's going to be more beneficial to WCW in general. Absolutely. Uh, so I would say regarding the pay-per-view overall, better than average, but not great. Yes. Um, one that you're going to put on, you're going to have a good time watching it, but like you could be watching Great American Bash 96, which I think was like a highlight of the, having seen the entire year's worth of pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. That was the best one, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought that Halloween Havoc was really good, too. Havoc was, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so there's there's just better options, but like you want to watch a pay per view, this is gonna be a good one to throw on while you're doing stuff around the house. You're not gonna have a bad time. Which which Halloween Havoc was the same sort of thing too. Um, Hogan beat Savage, and then that was immediately moved on to Roddy Piper. Abs- yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a good, good Hogan, callback. Hogan's got his formula down. <laughs> All right, so that just leaves one thing left to do in the show, and that is our match of the night and our MVP. I'll go ahead and go first with my match of the night, and I'm going to go with Dean Malenko and the Ultimate Dragon. Uh, I think that was just a really, really fun, solid match that uh, we've seen those guys square off, and uh, I loved it before. I love it now, and uh, when we see it at uh, Clash of the Champions, and probably a few times after that, Mm -hmm. I'm going to love it again. There you go. What was your match of the night? And I think I kind of uh, indicated earlier, but my match tonight was Jushin Thunder Liger versus Rey Mysterio Jr. I just found um, Liger wrestling as like the heel and the big man to be just really interesting. Um, And seeing these two, like two legends of like the, I mean, not even just cruiserweights, but just legends of wrestling facing each other. um, I just found it to be very interesting and compelling matchup. Um, I'm not really sure exactly what the uh, the reason for Liger winning, other than lots of Japanese wrestlers winning just to kind of appease their relationship with New Japan. That could be. Uh, I mean, that was kind of my most basic thought, but I like the idea of more Liger and WCW. That's for sure. Maybe they said, "Hey, we're wondering about Liger's availability," and New Japan office called him, and he said, "Well, last time I lost to Conan, so what do they have in mind this time?" And they were like. Oh, he can win. Yeah. Uh, we're sorry. We're very he, sorry. He, 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 can, he can beat Ray, actually. <laughs> and Ray's like, wait, what? Uh, no, so I would say, I mean, but those two matches, like the one you mentioned with Malenko, I mean, both of those are great matches. So it's, yeah. it, it's hard to have, like, really negative thoughts about Starcade because, like, there's two really awesome matches on it. All right. Well, uh, we'll stick with you. Who was your MVP? Um, I mean... Boy, it's tough. I mean, I want—I would want to say Piper, but I—I was not really impressed by his in-ring performance. Yeah. I mean, there was like two different chapters of that. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and the second chapter was not a good one. Yeah. Um, I'm compelled to say Lex Luger, just because the realization of uh, WCW at the time is like they could ride the the Lex Express as far as they want to with him. Um, I mean, I know I talked about like the giant being the big opponent for Hogan. I, I maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe it's yeah. Luger. I mean, Luger, Luger seems to, it, it just, it's so funny because he just, he has so many like natural gaffes yeah. and, or just moments where you're like, how long has he been wrestling? He still manages to fuck things up in the ring. Yeah. But people just love Lex Luger. You know what's a good comparison happening almost at the same time period? 
uh, over in the WWF is Sid. Like Sid sure, had so yeah, yeah, many yeah. obvious flaws uh-huh. to his game. Yeah. But there was a period in like 96, 97 where WWF audiences did not care. They loved Sid. Yes. Uh, they just absolutely went nuts for the guy, no matter what he did. And Lex is kind of in a similar spot where like yeah. you see all the flaws, but like goddamn if the crowd is not there for it, you know? Yeah. And and I mean, as the months go on, I mean, because 1997 is like the year of Lex Luger. Right. Pretty much. And and here here at Starcade, I'm feeling like, OK, I, I can see how this happened, you know. Yeah. So, I yeah, I just I wished it was Piper. But it, I mean, I felt like there's just kind of a lot like you, you. It just doesn't seem like he has a whole lot more to give in the ring sure yeah whereas it's like i i'm just amazed of how much people love lex luger so i might give mine to luger all right uh i'm this guy is definitely benefiting from the low expectations i have of him uh as like in terms of a uh generous performer let's say but i'm gonna give mine to hulk hogan uh for putting over roddy piper so cleanly Mm -hmm. for doing such a job of building this up as like this is the match for who's the one true icon. This yeah. is the guy I've never beat. And this time I'm going to wipe the floor because he's just like Flair and Savage and all these other old broken down guys that I've kicked their ass. Yeah. And then he went out there and he lost, uh, you know, through the merits of, of Piper's own accord. Mm. It wasn't like the Eddie Guerrero victory where like it was. I mean, the giant came out. There was a little bit of bullshit. Yeah. But the bullshit quotient was was really low, all things considered. I yeah. Think. So, uh, so yeah, maybe that's a minimum expectation to have. Mm-hmm. But hey, g- good on him. I'm giving my MVP to Hulk Hogan. And I think um, just getting to the end of um, doing Starcade here, I feel like there's a lot of interesting things to see how they follow up on Nitro um, because there's a Hogan and Giant thing, and really we don't know what's happening with Piper. I, I could I could totally see like Piper Beam in a non match. Maybe he's an ask for a title match now. Yeah. Maybe maybe Hogan has two guys he has to worry about. Um, I'm interested to see Eddie Guerrero as United States champion. Yeah. Um, I I feel, I'm not I have no expectations for what they're doing with the, any of the Japanese wrestlers that won. Right. Even if they won championships, I, it's not a guarantee they're going to be on Nitro tomorrow. Um, uh, I got good news for you. Uh, we get on Nitro. Uh, it's a good news, bad news. We get Ultimo Dragon versus Jushin Thunder Liger. Oh. The bad news is it's like four minutes. Oh. Well, but we get better to see than, it's better than nothing. Better than no minutes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, I think that about wraps it up. I think Starcade was good. Uh, you should watch it if you've got three hours. Why not? Uh, anyway, we'll be back here with the go. No, not the go home Nitro. The opposite of that. We're, we're going home from Starcade. We're in an interesting place right now because we've got to build to uh, supposedly an alternative brand, a rival company. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I don't, I don't really remember how they did this before. If it's going to be like you have to negotiate with the NWO in order to get matches, or if right. they're going to just, they're just going to tell people you're defending the titles. Like it'll be, or I mean, my assumption is that they'll kind of just hype it up like a regular pay per view, but it could go. Like, rules could be different, completely different, so it'll be interesting to see how they do it. 
We also have to build for a Clash of the Champions. That's the same goddamn week as the pay-per-view. Oh. Uh, and the difficulty of doing both at once is probably the reason that that will be the last Clash of the Champions ever. As far as WCW, I know that the name, I think, has been revived. Uh, but it is the last, like, separate cable special Clash of the Champions that WCW ever holds. So we look forward to that right here with the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. Very effective move by Liger. The dragon screw leg whip, is that what's that called? Where he almost popped the knee of Rey Mysterio Jr. You <laughs> What'd you say? You what'd you, what'd the, the what? The dragon screw, dragon leg, screw whip. leg whip. Yeah, man, wow. I gotta remember that one for later on tonight. <laughs> what was that, honey? Well, that was the dragon screw leg whip. And that one was the somersault capo kick in the corner by yeah, Mysterio. I knew that. <laughs> hey, you guys want anything? I run to the concession stand and pick up some beverages and some popcorn if you want. Uh, maybe I'll get you a cider or a leg whip. <laughs> oh, my.